Hey, welcome to the podcast. Today's guest is Kyle Mamounis. Kyle has a PhD in nutritional sciences from Rutgers University. Uh, we talk about everything from being on a vegetarian diet to repeat to fats in our diet, sugars, uh, medical doctors, and more. I had a blast talking to Kyle. It was a really fun conversation, and uh, I hope you enjoyed too. All right, I think we're good. What's up, man? <laughs> Thanks so much for doing this. I appreciate it, bro. <laughs> no problem. Um, hold on. Okay, we're going. Mr. Kyle Mam- is Mamounis, is that uh, Greek? Yeah. Yeah. So you're basically Russian. You're one of those. <laughs> uh, you know, I did 23andMe, and because um, I had been told I had Ukrainian, uh, and... When I first got my results back and did the ancestry, it had like no Eastern European. And then, wow. but they're always changing. Yeah. Like after you do it, you get, like if you log on a month later, your percentages, like I've had things double. Wow. Uh, and then now it's saying something around less than 10% Eastern <laughs> European, but something. Mine's complete opposite. I did my 23. It was literally 99.8, I think, Eastern European. It was like just. <laughs> That little tiny area, like Russia and Ukraine and Bulgaria, and so I was like, "Wow, that's a fucking shocker." Cool, man. Yeah, I saw your um, uh, Suka Blet shirt. You know, you know that little uh, Instagram post you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know yeah. what it means, then, huh? <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. Well, I'm a gamer, so. Oh, is it a gaming thing? I didn't even know that. I'm not at all. Yeah, like on computer games, like Counter Strike. Um, oh. Maybe like five years ago, saying bad things to each other and like russian or whatever was popular how funny is it that they chose russian huh well it's good for us man well i think a lot of russians were playing it and then they'd get mad and they'd say that and then it became a thing that americans and europeans and stuff that didn't even know russian would just say yeah (laughs) so funny that's the one okay man cool (laughs) (laughs) that's the one they chose um yeah man so you have a PhD, right, in uh, nutritional sciences, yeah? Yeah, from Rutgers cool. University in New Jersey. Okay, yeah, just, you know, just kind of want to get, like, a, a background, I guess, of, you know, what led you into that road of studying that so- those sort of things. Um, you know, like, for me, it was, like, basically moving to the States and immediately getting fat and just kind of trying to <laughs> literally, like, within months, just getting fat, and it was just, like what is going on here, you know, because it was just so there. I mean, maybe stress had something to do with it too, of course, but, you know, but the diet was like so completely different and it's, you know, took a many years to kind of figure out like, what is this, you know, how, because we were eating like, you know, the way we were eating was totally, you know, different than what like a standard American diet people eat. And some, uh, yeah, just interested how you got in that sort of thing yourself. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a long story, but, um, I've, I guess I've always been interested in things like ideas, like a, I'll get an, a, a thing that I'm interested in for a couple of years. Uh, and when I first went to college, I met a bunch of people that were vegetarians mm-hmm. and I just absorbed their, like they, they were handing out, uh, pamphlets and stuff. And I just absorbed that information <clears throat> and became really interested in it and kind of obsessed with it. And followed that into like veganism and then raw veganism. And then at some point, I um, 
decided I wanted to do nutritional research. So I switched my major to biology and uh, did that and then went and did. But meanwhile, while all that was happening, I was still changing my diet. So at some point I got really influenced by, do you know who Agnes von der Planets is? Yeah, yeah, of course, of course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Rest in peace. Rest in peace. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Peace be upon him. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I was, I started integrating raw animal foods, um, okay. eggs and dairy at first, and then meat. Uh-huh. And then I started becoming influenced by the paleo and low carb world. And so for a while I was eating mostly raw meat. Yeah. And uh, this whole so this whole transition is happening while I'm going through the academic process of getting a bachelor's degree in biology and then getting a PhD in nutritional science, uh-huh. and then a year or two into the PhD thing, like I was hardcore, like I would bring glass containers of chopped up raw meat <laughs> to class or to like, my lab. I've done carnivore, and, but I never quite went the full raw thing. I just, I just yeah. like, fuck. I mean, I've eaten, you know, like I like like, um, you know, what do you call raw meat when it's minced or whatever, you know, like ground beef. Tartar. Tartar. Yeah, yeah I, lo- I love that stuff. But, oh, man, like chicken yeah. and stuff like that. I was just like, <laughs> Yeah, I ate some raw chicken, but it was mostly beef. Oh, okay, okay. Um, and people would always ask me. In fact, it gets, it gets really old when you eat weird stuff oh, that yeah. people ask you all the time. Like for for a while, like six months, it's cool because you get to feel interesting, and then you're just like, it's like you're a CrossFitter for a while there, right? You're like, yeah. yeah, I do CrossFit. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly. right, bro. <laughs> um, and then somebody, I was I actually, I think I'm still a moderator. Like I still have moderator privileges on the website rawpaleoforum.com. I think I've been there once or twice. I can't quite yeah. remember. I've been so long. Yeah, I was really a heavy user on there and then um around two late 2011 and early 2012 is when i started my phd program and i saw a few people post about ray pete and danny roddy mm-hmm. who was like writing about ray pete and at the time i think danny roddy was doing this like eat everything diet where he was just Kind of a Matt Stone. Do you know Matt Stone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, re- I read some of his books. I never really, um, you know, met the guy or anything, but yeah. Yeah. So five or six years ago, or even, I don't know, eight years ago, he was big on promoting just eat a lot of food. Okay. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. your metabolism. Just get your metabolism just, going. Yeah, I think yeah, I had just, one of his like hypoglycemia books. It was sort of that. It was just like, just wake up. I, th- I think it was like, wake up and eat pizza buttercup. You're going to be fine. You know, just like he was just pushing. <laughs> like, that's his kind of yeah. wording I remember. Yeah. So I was um, intrigued and I was like, I don't know, what, what's the deal with this? And then I was like kind of religiously into the low carb. Like I believed that carbs were had something intrinsically wrong with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was being attacked on two sides. So I'm starting my PhD program. And for the first two years, you're taking classes. And then you uh, usually do research for like a few months at a few different labs and then decide which lab you're going to stay in and what your project is going to be. Uh, so I'm in classes like these basic biochemistry classes and molecular biology and all kinds of things. And I'm learning about metabolism and that's starting to like challenge the idea that carbs are bad on one hand. Mm -hmm. And then I just sort of had to read more stuff about Danny Roddy and Ray Pete. And then I started reading Ray Pete's actual website. Mm -hmm. So on the other hand, there's this like fringe information 
that's challenging <laughs> it and like extremely mainstream information that I'm getting in my classes and I'm sitting there like eating a glass container of like meat and like raw fat and that's <laughs> my meal so like something had to change <laughs> you're going through a religious experience there man that's heavy <laughs> yeah yeah I went through a conversion experience yeah yeah um <laughs> And so, yeah, so I found, I found an advisor and pretty interested in, I was able to do something on fatty acids, um, in an endocrinology lab mm -hmm. and, uh, added carbs back into my diet and then started sort of this like side project of doing a little bit of blogging and okay. things. And, and so like be nutrition. before you get like, so before you you know it's funny because your path sort of very similar to mine like I was in college and I also went vegetarian first and just eating eggs and like a little bit of like dairy stuff um, doing that maybe for like almost a year and, and as I got deeper into it I went more vegan you know more towards the vegan route and then I remember um, and then I just I remember being with a girl and I was just like, you know, I was just not interested in girls in that point. And that got me thinking about like, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, you know, like my dick took a vacation. You know what I mean? It was just like, <laughs> it was just like adios, amigo, you know? And so that got me thinking. And that's how I kind of worked my way back into like eating meat and stuff like that. And so, um, so when you were, you know, vegetarian and vegan, I mean, what were the things that like, you know, were, were positive. What did you notice? I mean, was there something or is it was just, it was more like a philosophical kind of thing that you were into was like not harming animals or was it, you know, benefits of the, the specific diet that you, you know, kept you going on it? Uh, it was mostly the idea that eventually when you finish detoxing and like, Oh yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> yeah. All of the processes and stuff that eventually you'll become this ascended super person. Yeah. Um, so I never achieved that state. <laughs> uh, mostly, I didn't. I didn't really have big health problems, though. The only problem I really had was because I was in my early twenties for the most part. Uh -huh. um, I just lost like all the muscle that I had gained. So I started lifting weights in the second half of high school, and then the first year or two of college, and then the second year or two is when I was doing extreme yeah. vegan and then raw vegan. Similar. And experience. I just. You know, lost so much weight. I couldn't gain weight, and I didn't even know. Like, I was, I thought I knew everything about nutrition. That if you just eat these vegan foods, you'd be good. I didn't even know like how much protein you're supposed to eat, or even yeah. calories. You know, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I knew like two thousand calorie diet, like from a container. Yeah, a similar experience. Yeah, I lost a bunch of weight. Just the gym was just like not interesting, and yeah, and like I said, uh, just not interested. And then I remember eating. Uh, you know, some I went out to a diner like here in LA and just got like a steak, and literally waking up the next day and it was just like a you know a tent <laughs> under the bed, literally like it was true true story. You know, I just woke up and I, and then that's what like for me that was my light bulb moment where I was like, okay, maybe I should eat some meat more often. You know, um, okay, so it was more that you were just so you know just I guess was interested in, it. and then when you were doing you know when you shifted over to eating more meats. I mean, was it that you gained muscle, that you got shredded? I mean, that's the typical stories that you always hear from people. I mean, yeah, like I was, so right now I'm like 180. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I was at my lightest, I was like below 140. Mm -hmm. um, so I was like really skinny. And then 
when I added, first I added like a little bit of uh, like raw cheese and stuff like that. And I got to like one four, like I gained a few pounds and then I started eating meat and then I just immediately jumped up to like 155. Mm. So it's like as I added things back, my body just immediately sort of ratcheted up to a new equilibrium. Yeah. Um, and the whole time I was trying to exercise, I actually had decent energy levels. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't gain muscle. It was More just muscle. like, yeah, it was as if like, you know, before, like when you're like a young kid and you know how like kids they're growing, but they can't really put on like mature muscle. Like they don't have the same hormones, you know, it was yeah. almost like I had lost like mature male ability to build muscle, but I had high energy. Mm-hmm. Initially when you switched over, from being vegan or vegetarian vegan than paleo. So you did gain some muscle. You did put on some weight. Um, so, I mean, it wasn't never like a quest for you to, you know, be the shreddest guy in the in the room or whatever. It was just you were experimenting. Yeah. I mean, I guess I wanted to, uh, you know, look better and, and get more muscle and stuff. Like at that time, I think I had been doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu by then. So, you know, I wanted, like, my performance and stuff to be better, but um, I was never really overweight, so it was never like that, and the only time I was really skinny and had trouble was when I was vegan. Mm-hmm. And so, like, was it, how, how, what was your structure when you were eating, you know, mostly raw meat? Was it, like, the one meal a day kind of thing, or a couple meals a day, or you were eating pretty yeah, regularly? Yeah, two. Two meals a day? No, okay, so it's sort of like uh, the Sean, you know who Sean Baker is? The current guy that's talking about all the... Um, uh, car- uh, carnivore, carnivore stuff. I think so, but I I don't really keep up with that stuff anymore. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, it's just in the world. Okay, and so you know, and just now to get a little deeper on it, I mean, what's happening with the body that when you're going from you know mostly using glucose as your fuel to you know fat and protein, and obviously going into ketosis. Yeah, so it's mostly. Uh, the hormonal change where you switch over from, you know, sort of like a cyclical insulin um, when after a meal where your glucose goes up to, you know, having cortisol and doing a lot of gluconeogenesis and the liver is working a lot. Mm -hmm. So that's Um, like a big point. So like when people, you know, when you are doing that switch over, your cortisol does go up, right? I mean, there's no, is there, you know, is there a doubt about it? Or, I mean, for sure, in, if you're going, you know, full carnivore, no no glucose, no sugars, nothing, you are raising up your cortisol, right? Yeah, yeah. That, well, that's what, that's the main hormone that is necessary for gluconeogenesis. But I guess some people do notice that their cortisol goes down a little bit mm-hmm. at, uh, after they do those diets for a while. But then people also complain about adrenal fatigue and <laughs> adrenal insufficiency. So mm-hmm. um, whether it's a good thing that the, that their cortisol starts to go down a little bit or, you know, that that's kind of a question. It might just be that there's only so much that it can do, you know. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, that's the debate. It's like, you know, if you're – people notice so many benefits, you know, when they swing, and I've been there too. Like when I initially started doing sort of low carb, my my way was more to sort of um, after just doing just experimenting on my own. Then I found out who Paul Chak is. Have you heard of Paul Chak? Yeah. Um, you know, and he kind of um, 
he kind of pers- d- tells everybody to kind of do uh, their metabolic typing kind of thing, if you ever heard of that, you know, and, uh-huh. you know, so it's like sil- selecting, you know, if you're from Russia, like me, or if you're, you know, Greek ancestry, what were your ancestors eating? And, you know, and if it's Russian, obviously, there wasn't a lot of vegetables, not too much sugar, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I was mostly low carb. And initially, I did notice that it was like, you know, it, and whatever you want to call it, inflammation, because all these terms are so, you know, it, it's, it, you know, arbitrary, really, in a way, um, that you do feel like a better, you know, you feel a little bit of euphoria. And it, I mean, uh-huh. I felt pretty good for a couple of years. I mean, maybe more, more so. I mean, I was just, you know, same thing. I got it in my head that it was like, uh, carbs are bad. I probably shouldn't be eating that many of them because I'm not from Hawaii. That's like Paul Cech's like, ult- <laughs> ultimate thing, by the way. Yeah, he always says like, um, you know, if you're from Hawaii, you should be eating pineapples. You'll be fine. But if you're from Alaska, you should be eating whale blubber, blah, blah, blah. And it makes sense on some philosophical level, right? Like, I mean, at least initially it does. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, f- I felt okay on that kind of a diet too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my ancestry is probably relatively hunter-gatherer because even though my last name's Greek, um, that's like a really small percentage of my background. It's just sort of a, the, you know, the male line, you Mm -hmm. know, the name that I ended up with, but I'm like a third British and like the rest is like Germanic and so mostly Northwestern European and then a little bit of Southern and Eastern. So anyway, Mm-hmm. Uh, the only problem I really had with the paleo thing is when I would exercise really hard, like at Brazilian Jiu Jitsu or something. Sometimes I would do say two classes in a row, so work out for like a little over two hours, pretty intensely. Uh, I'd give myself a migraine. Yeah. Like, I'd come home and I'd eat my low fat or no, my high fat, low carb meal. And I try to like eat as fast as possible and like replenish what I had used, but it was mm-hmm. like too late. Like my liver was just. So you were you were hardcore. You didn't have any like cheat days where you just went out like me, where I would fucking once a week I'd go get some Ben and Jerry's and just go to town on it for you know two two points uh, of those. I would cheat socially, mm-hmm. not not really so much on my own. Or sometimes I would go out to a restaurant, like say a Thai food restaurant, and get an entree. Mm-hmm. And then maybe throw out the rice and just sort of take the, like, whatever it was, like, chicken or beef or whatever with the sauce mm-hmm. and, like, mix that into my normal raw meat stuff to give it, <laughs> to, like, make it seem like I'm eating real people food. <laughs> yeah, yeah, So do you think that when people are initially doing these sort of diets, like carnivore, low-carb, I mean, is it possible that, um, you know, what you're really feeling is just that initial kind of euphoria from cortisol raising and from probably getting rid of all the other bullshit that you're eating. You know, I mean, is it, you think it's like a fair hypothesis? Yeah. And also most people are probably not getting enough fat soluble vitamins and maybe enough protein. So all of a sudden you're getting like tons of protein, Mm -hmm. like tons of pretty high quality protein and a lot of fat soluble vitamins. So yeah, and then you're also cutting out, you know, you might have been having a reaction to something in the standard American diet, and now that's cut out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that's probably the source of a lot of those things. It's the same thing with vegetarian. Like, some people feel good because they're eating just sort of a normal crappy diet, 
maybe even like fast food or something, and then they start eating a bunch of vegetables and just homemade food. Yeah. And and buying real food and eating it, and they'll feel good for a while because they're getting a bunch of vitamins or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it takes longer for the deficiencies to set in, you know. Yeah. Are you still? So you're saying you're still. Um on the forum with all the raw guys. Do, do you know anybody who's still doing the diet like 10, 20 years in? Is there uh, anybody still around? I mean, it's like, you know, Ajahn has passed away, obviously. Um, what's the guy? Washington, I can't remember his first name. Do you know what I'm talking about? There was a guy yeah. that was quite popular. I can't remember his first name, but... Um... Yeah, Charles. Charles. I think, yeah, that's right. Charles Washington. I don't know. I'm not on the forum anymore. I just... I just know that I still have an active account there because, like, once in a blue moon, I'll get an email <laughs> about, like, moderator activity. Mm-hmm. Like, once, like, twice a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't, I don't go on the forum. I knew one guy who did it for a really long time. And as far as I know, anybody that's done a disciplined, very low-carb diet, whether it's raw meat or cooked or whatever for 10 years or more mm-hmm. their blood glucose like fasting mm-hmm. blood glucose starts to creep up mm-hmm. so that's funny um recently i started training for uh, a marathon that i was running that i ran um and at that point i was still low carb you know or kind of avoiding the carbohydrate stuff um you know i would refuel here and there with like you know whatever healthy quote-unquote carbs um you know, and I got my blood glucose tested, and it was, it wasn't crazy, but it was, you know, 116, 120, somewhere there, um, which is high. And then within a few weeks, I started eating more carbs and less less, pro, less fat, but still, you know, having pro- protein pretty high. Um, and it went down to 96, even though, you know, I switched <laughs> it the other way. Right. So that was, for me, the kind of another point where it was like, you know, maybe carbohydrates aren't so evil i mean what would be the selling point for you know people to include carbohydrate in their diet i mean why do you think it's important it's a big question i know (laughs) yeah i've thought about this for a long time uh because there are i don't want to just like dismiss all of the arguments of low-carb people about like well you know we went through the ice age and there's (laughs) you know times when maybe carbs weren't available I think that's dubious at this point. Um, Data where people look at the Inuit and how their metabolism works and modern hunter-gatherers and how they go to great lengths to get stuff like honey and just like any carbohydrate source they can get to. And have you you looked at the Inuit stuff, at the studies? Um, Are they, how valid are they? And are they, you know, have you read any of those studies in depth? Yeah, actually I did because um, I I was asked to review a paper like two or three years ago uh, by uh, Amber O'Hearn. Mm-hmm. She's, um, I don't know how popular she is because like I said, I don't really follow that world, but she's an online person about the carnivore diet. Okay. And... I had published a paper with the Journal of Evolutionary Health, whatever it was called, the journal that was associated with the Ancestral Health Symposium, which is like, I don't know if it's still going on, but um, I gave a couple talks there. 
and they asked me to make one of the talks into a paper. So after that, they asked me to review a paper, and it was about Inuit studies, and Amber was trying to say, I forget what she was trying to say, but it was interesting because the data was kind of inconvenient, because basically the, the, the thing I took from it that was really interesting is that Inuit were more resistant to ketosis than like American average non-Inuit American people. Mm -hmm. So in order to have measurable ketones in their urine, for example, they would have to fast for longer mm -hmm. than people that are eating a regular diet that includes carbohydrate. So that would mean that when they're not in, so they're doing more gluconeogenesis basically before they're getting into ketosis. Right. Correct. Because so they're meaning they're supplying themselves with glucose before they go in a full ketone mode. Which does that even ever happen? Do you go ever full ketone mode? You know, I no, you never really go full anything. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that's that's the point I'm trying to make. Yeah. 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 But it was just funny because um, everybody, I guess, the people that did those studies. This is back in like the 20th century, even the 1970s with some of them, and there were some more recent. Mm -hmm. They were just people that wanted to do metabolic studies on different populations, and the Inuit are you know, a population that is um, kept apart, you know, kept itself apart. So it's like genetically um, a specific gene pool and it's been following a specific lifestyle that's very different than other people for a long time. So mm -hmm. it's interesting. But then the low carb and keto people wanted to mine this data to show like, look, you know, there's this group and they've lived on, you know, a mostly carnivore diet for a really long time like centuries mm -hmm. uh and they wanted to show like yeah these people must be really keto adapted and it shows that we could all be keto adapted but they weren't even in ketosis like the <laughs> inuit that were eating you know mostly whatever kind of meats they're eating and blubber yeah yeah and so they're and they had um a couple of genetic variants that were that did exactly what you said which is ramp up their ability to do gluconeogenesis mm -hmm. and did not ramp up their ability to do ketosis. So they were actually genetically adapted under a low carb diet to make more carbs, mm -hmm. not to run better on ketones or fatty acids. But as far as like, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So, but as far as like, there's no studies of taking that group and giving them carbohydrates and seeing what happens to them metabolically, right? They've only, or are there? I don't know about that group. There probably are, because, you know, there's, like, the famous, some of the famous ones that Gary Taubes talks about is the Pima Indians. Yeah. And they, actually, I forget if they ate carbs. Obviously, they didn't eat sugar, you yeah. know, before um, colonizers came. So they did really, really badly mm -hmm. uh, metabolically when they were given sort of, like, a, a late, like 1800 like a 19th century and early 20th century processed food diet mm -hmm. uh, they had really really bad outcomes and so people low carb people like Gary Topps point to them as an example of people that were adapted to like a paleo relatively low carb diet and these carbs totally messed them up uh, but I don't I don't think there's this similar amount of systematic data on Inuit and as far as them living you know anywhere 
90, 100 years old. I mean, that data is not there either, right? I mean, it was just, that's just what they had to live with. So they they weren't eating that way necessarily, maybe because they thought it was healthier. I mean, that's just what they had available, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And I think even them, they have practices of like trying to harvest and dry as much berries and stuff certain times of the year. So, yeah, you know, I'm sure that there's like, you could you could find some more things that would make it so that they're not living this, you know, the story that they're getting everything they need from yeah. uh, eating animals and that they have no desire at all to you know, traditionally get sources of carbohydrates. That's probably not true. Right. Because, you know, I guess it always comes back to, you know, the body is so adaptable and it's fascinating and it's interesting to look at. But to me, you know, I, I always think like, Okay, I mean, is there people that are living like 150 fucking years old, you know, because they're eating whale blubber? Like, no. So, you know, if they're dying the same rate as people who are even eating the standard American diet, I mean, does that necessarily mean that that diet is something everybody should be adapting, you know? Yeah, I think their big problem is um, stroke. I think non-thrombotic stroke. And I think it's probably from all the omega-3s they get from the high-fatty fish diet. Oh, you never hear that. Wow, I never heard about that. Yeah, because people, the big thing was, oh, they don't have atherosclerosis right. and cardiovascular disease, but they have um, stroke, which is like it's another not type bad. Of, it's a good trade-off. No? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's like they're not forming lesions in their vessels. They're Well, they're... They're not making big plaques in their vessels, but they're having these kind of, you know, embolisms and bleed outs, mm-hmm. like, you know, mostly in the brain. And yeah. yeah, I don't think they have a longer life expectancy than regular Americans at yeah. all, actually. Well, it's something to think about. So you brought up like omega threes. And at my point, um, you know, one time, well, not one time, I used to work with uh, Charles Poliquin. I don't know if you ever heard of him. He's like a famous strength coach. Um Anyway, no. yeah. And anyway, he's in that world of you know. At one point, him and Paul Check were friends. Um, he's a very famous okay. strength coach, um, and he was one guy that would recommend um, sixty grams of fish oil a day in order to lose fat. Yeah, and I've done it. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh yeah, uh, you know it. It wouldn't be at once. I would split it up like ten, ten, uh, ten caps of fish oil here, ten caps of fish oil here. And let me tell you, man, I was burping and farting, and it was just, it was fucking horrible. And to this day, I mean, there's lots of videos and lots of podcasts where he recommends that. Um, if you've heard of Tim Ferriss, his, you know, pretty big yeah. podcast, um, he's been on it, you know, recommending that. And, um, you know, me just trying it on my own. I never really went super deep into the research. It's just, you know, something that I wasn't into yet. Um, but after trying it out, I was just, you know... Not impressed, and I didn't didn't see you know because you would think you got I'm gonna take sixty you know in my head it's like okay I'm gonna take sixty grams of fish oil I'm just gonna get shredded six pack none of that uh-huh. happened um, so I mean what are your thoughts on omega threes I mean are they you know a essential nutrient so should it be something should it be something we should be getting or avoiding or there's not really conclusive you know data either way well I don't think there's a hundred percent conclusive data that it's totally not necessary at all. Mm-hmm. Like the, the 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 it being talked about being essential is really exaggerated, and it would be almost impossible to not get the tiny amounts that may be essential. Mm-hmm. Like you would have to go out of your way to eat a low fat diet 
uh, a pretty low fat diet and specifically avoid, you know, fatty fish and um, not cook with vegetable oil or maybe even olive oil to actually make yourself deficient according to what it would take. Uh, as far as I know, humans, there are, you know, studies and the, Ray Pete has written about this extensively and said that it could have been a B vitamin deficiency, mm-hmm. but there's examples of older literature where, and this is where the essential, uh, the title of essential fatty acids came from is rats that were given a low fat diet and then they had some problems and the problems were fixed by giving them either omega-6 or omega-3 or both. And that's the birth studies, right? Yeah. Right. And some other people did it too, but yeah, they were the pioneers and they're the most famous. Mm-hmm. Um, but that actually doesn't happen with humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that's really hard to do for whatever reason, like rats, whether it's, whether it is the essential fatty acids, mm-hmm. the, you know, the low fat diets that, that's giving them those, those symptoms or whether it's the ray feed hypothesis, which is that taking out the fat ramps up their metabolism, increases their vitamin requirements, and mm-hmm. then they're being fed the same dietary chow mm-hmm. with the same micronutrients as before, and then they're having deficiency symptoms of some vitamin that they're getting low in. And so uh, either way. And so just to back it up, hard. like essential fatty acids, I mean, that, that Burr study, is that where that kind of term came from? Is As far as I know, yeah. I think that's where it came from, right? So, I mean, yeah. is is it in the Ray Pete's, um, you know, his, his view is that there's no such thing as essential fatty acids, right? Yeah. Okay. I mean, how, how much do you agree with that? And do you think that's valid or do you think, well, like you said, it's pretty hard to get no fat whatsoever, right? Unless you're eating specifically yeah. just, you know, I don't know, sugar, nothing else. Um, so I, I don't know. There's a lot of, uh, <laughs> When you study fatty acid metabolism, there's a lot of enzymes that humans have and other animals that specifically act on polyunsaturated fats. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so that sort of suggests that we are adapted to having them in our systems. But then there is a polyunsaturated omega-9 fatty acid called mead acid, M-E-A-D, mm-hmm. that you will make. Um, I think especially if you do have a very low PUFA diet. And that can also interact with those same enzymes. So there's a lot of points and counterpoints when people talk about are, are the so-called essential fatty acids actually essential. And I just, I'm just agnostic on it. And... <laughs> My conclusion is just there's no good reason to take fish oil or cod liver oil or anything supplementary for omega-3s or omega-6s. And there's a pretty good reason to avoid eating a lot of it. Yeah. So, and that was, you know, the gentleman that I mentioned, Charles Poliquin, that was his big selling point is that if you go to PubMed and type in any disease and type in fish oil, you'll find uh, uh, an article about it. And it's true, um, but I mean, how valid are some of those studies? I mean, have you found any any <laughs> have you found any good study that d- does you know at least show at least some benefit, you know that's you know more than just kind of maybe so? Well, here's the thing: like if if you take a group of people that are um, having say an inflammatory 
condition like insulin resistance or some type of obesity state or pre-diabetes or something and you give them fish oil uh there's a lot of things you can give those people that over the course of three months might lower their fasting glucose or some other symptom like um a lot of inflammatory conditions are treated with for example cortisol Mm -hmm. like you know joint inflammation and stuff and there's all kinds of drugs you know that um can sort of sensitize the insulin system different ways and just play with those symptoms so a fish oil definitely does something it definitely does something to people who have certain conditions i mean there there are people that straight up say and a lot of them that they had joint pain and then they took fish oil and it kind of went away yeah but there's a lot there's a lot of ways to interpret that and a lot of good like um molecular biology reasons to think that it's suppressing maybe the immune cells that are making the inflammation rather than clearing the cause of it and, yeah. and things like that or maybe like with the diet thing like we talked about maybe it's a temporary you know thing that you're experiencing like just like when you switch over to being vegan and you feel great and your skin is awesome and your shits are great and blah 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 and then six months later, you can't get it. You get your dick up. You know, it's you, so, <laughs> true story, right? So you know, that's kind of. I mean, yeah. So it's interesting, and just to and just to clarify, you know, the difference between you know the saturated fat, the polyunsaturated fat, the monounsaturated fat. What else we got? Trans fats. I mean, yeah. what's the what's the you know you, you mentioned PUFA, which is polyunsaturated fat. So what's the difference between that and, and saturated fat? Uh, it's the amount of hydrogens on the fatty acid chain. So if some something being saturated means that, so carbon forms four bonds. So in a fatty acid chain, there's a carbon, and if it's not the end of the chain, then there's a carbon in front of it and a carbon behind it. That's two bonds. And then, so there's two more. And if it's saturated, then all the carbons in that chain, all the open bonds that aren't uh, bound to another carbon are bound to hydrogen. And uh, when it's unsaturated, it's when instead of one of those hydrogens being there, it has a double bond to one of its um, partner carbons. Mm -hmm. And that changes all kinds of things about the shape, like it makes a kink. So the saturated fats are relatively straight, and when they're unsaturated, it like makes an angle. Mm -hmm. And if they're unsaturated again, it makes another turn. Mm -hmm. um, it makes their interaction with water different. Uh, it's the reason why they're liquid at cold temperatures, right? Because um, they don't, they can't pack together as tightly because of the, all those kinks. Yeah. Um, and the most important, well, it depends what perspective you have, but uh, perhaps the most important thing is that the energy needed to insert an oxygen to oxidize them is much lower when there's double bonds present. Um, because there's stable resonance structures that can be formed using those electrons, which kind of gets into the nerdy organic chemistry. But <laughs> but that, that's, you're talking about the saturated fats, so you need less oxygen, you're saying, to oxidize them. Yeah, to, to oxidize, no, to oxidize, not enzymatically, but like in your system, just with rogue oxygen species, mm -hmm. the polyunsaturated fats will oxidize and saturated fats will not. So... If you want to, like, you know, oxidize a saturated fat, you have to use a lot of heat. Mm -hmm. Or or your own, like, digestive enzymes. 
So, is, uh, yeah, so is that why kind of, you know, that story of cold water, well, not story, I mean, it's true, uh, the cold water fish having more polyunsaturated fat, right, because they're in cold water, and so that keeps them from freezing out, basically, in the... Yeah. Yeah, okay. And so being a human being, I guess it kind of makes you think that should you be taking in a lot of these polyunsaturated fats is because mammalian warm body, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and also humans and pretty much all mammals, when you eat uh, carbohydrate um, and to, I guess to a lesser extent protein and make fatty acids, you make almost all saturated. You make some monounsaturated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you make basically no polyunsaturated fats, which to me, it's like if if the body wanted to have them, you know, you'd, you'd make some of them. Yeah. So how is it that we got here that, you know, I was at the store the other day and I saw um, uh, Mazzola corn oil um, and it says heart healthy on it. You know, how is it that we got to this point where you go to a store and everybody, you know, thinks that the, the you know, the butter is bad, the coconut oil is bad. And, you know, you have guys like Michael Greger promoting stuff, you know, that, you know, it's horrible for you. It's going to kill you. And polyunsaturated fat is what we should be eating. I mean. Yeah, that was a, <laughs> that was like a, a really, it's crazy. It's still around, you know. Um, big time, big time, yeah. Because it's been more or less refuted in the sort of like hardcore academic, even the mainstream, well, it's hard to say. Uh, yeah, because it's like, you know, you get a cereal box and it says American Heart Association. Yeah. Right? And it's... Well, those are really lagging indicators. Like, those kinds <laughs> of institutions are, like, 20 years at least behind anything that's, like, new information. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I would say, you know, there's a lot of... A lot of people, in the actually, in the paleo world have done really good historical work on explaining, like, the burrs with the essential fatty acid research and uh, with Ansel Keys about cholesterol and then also saturated fat. And the process of kind of demonizing saturated fat in the middle to later 20th century in American science and then popular culture. Um, and, you know, there's there was like um, financial interests with the like vegetable oil companies and stuff like that to make and to make uh, things like margarine, you know, to replace butter. Um, but I think it's deeper than that. I think that there's always, and when we were talking about vegetarian and veganism, there's always been, at least in many parts of the world, in many cultures, there's been a sort of implicit um, spirituality and even physical health suggestion around not eating meat. Yeah. And it's sort of like, you know, a lot of religions and different sects of Christianity even will have like um, days of meat abstention and uh, there, yeah, there's this idea that like it's more spiritual to just eat plants and that it's ultimately better for you. So I think there's just this kind of floating around idea. And so it didn't take that much science that was that high quality to really get that going and then it, it becomes like a self-reinforcing thing where even just simple things like people can see that butter and if they have like beef fat or whatever is solid at mm-hmm. room temperature mm-hmm. and olive oil is liquid 
and then it gets kind of cloudy in the fridge. And then if you've got like corn oil, it's it's liquid and not cloudy at all, even in the refrigerator. Mm -hmm. And they look at that and they go, well, that's like in my arteries, you know, and it's just like scientists, real scientists and real doctors. Although actually, I think Dr. Oz had somebody on like 15 years ago. (laughs) Well, he's a real doctor though, but come on, he's a real doctor. (laughs) And he said that, he said like, this is what happens in your arteries. And Oh really? I haven't seen that. Oh man. Yeah, it was like, people have said that most people don't actually say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's it's that's just really um, stupid, and they would get called stupid, and it would mess up their credibility. But sometimes you don't have to say things like you say that this type of fat is bad for your arteries, and then people just kind of see that it's solid at room temperature, and they don't realize like you know you're inside your body like after something's digested and absorbed, and it's like bound to carrier proteins and all of this stuff in your blood. That is not like washing a bunch of cooking fat down a sink drain, you know. Right. It, it's, it's not the same thing. Like the temperature is totally different. The there's like you know biochemical molecules. Many everywhere. things that are happening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just it's so different. It's not the same thing at all. But yeah, that's not explaining to people. So there's all these um, underlying like kind of. I guess false common sense reasons why people why it would make sense like oh I'm gonna abstain from so much meat fat and it's good for my heart mm-hmm. and then it gets marketed because people buy that mm-hmm. and now it's just you know and it's funny like I went into um, sometimes in convenience stores there's a little like uh, shelf with health food stuff yeah like protein bars and it's so funny now because it's it's just like you know how um, like if somebody watches Fox News versus MSNBC, they're just getting like a different view of reality. Yeah, <laughs> and like and they they can't really talk to each other about reality. Uh-huh. So it's like that with health because, the, like one side of this little convenience store health stand, is um, say like vegetarian stuff, and it'll be like oh nuts, like heart healthy nuts and seeds, like omega threes and, <laughs> and or and like uh, no no animal products and. And then the other side will be like keto yeah. bars, and it's like just animal, like pure animal fat. And, and they're in the same bucket <laughs> section usually. Yeah, yeah, they're in the health. Yeah, because like if it's a little store, it yeah. doesn't have enough space to have its own section. So it's like, yes. oh yeah, health, health people. So like, some vegetarian has to like pick up their vegetarian bar that's like right next to like a meat bar, <laughs> and like a grass fed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah the keto person has to pick up something right next to something that's like you know sugar and i don't know like a like a rice crispy bar that's vegetarian yeah so you would you know you would recommend probably well that's what i'm saying that is the crazy part to me that you know you still talk to people and they still definitely believe that you know if you know saturated fat i mean that's obviously going to kill you going to give you a heart attack and you know what you want is you want that liquidy yellow shit that's in that bottle because it's good. <laughs> and I mean, I mean a lot of times I just usually say like, well, I mean, just think you know thinking about just cafes and restaurants. I mean, what's the cheapest shit they're gonna use? I think of course they're gonna use those cheap oils, you know. And right. so I mean that's the so do you generally avoid those oils in your diet? You try your oh yeah, diet? totally. Yeah, go out of your way to so okay. So to you, it's not even you know a question anymore that you probably shouldn't be consuming too many of those oils. 
Yeah, yeah. I don't like. I don't have them in the house. Um, I use olive oil sometimes because, mm-hmm. uh, like, if I want to make a salad dressing or something, you can't really use coconut oil. No, yeah. It's like if you put it in the fridge, it's just it just chunk makes chunks of oil. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I cook with coconut oil or butter, and you know, I don't really eat nuts and seeds. Not that I would religiously avoid them. Mm-hmm. Like if somebody gave me a dish you know, like one of those Chinese dishes or something that has some like cashews or peanuts in it. Like I'd eat them. It's not a big deal, but yeah, I, I basically avoid right. stuff with polyunsaturated fats. Yeah. So we talked about the big, you know, fat and now how about the sugar? Cause you know, that's the other thing that's going to kill you. Um, right. and I had that opinion myself too. And, you know, and I, I mean, still, you know, still thinking about it. <laughs> um, and how did that, I mean, how did that happen that, you know, sugar, I mean, even like you said, you know, talking about you have the keto people, you have the vegetarian people, you have the paleo th- people. I mean, the one thing that most of them agree on seems yeah. to be like <laughs> white sugar is the fucking devil and you will die. True. Right. And you're going to yes. get fat. I mean, that seems to be the one, one big one. I mean, I don't know. I think seems like all the, you know, maybe even the breatharian. You know, have you heard of breatharians? <laughs> you heard of those people? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're awesome. They're my favorite. <laughs> I read one of those books. Like, you actually read the book? Fifteen years ago, dude. You went yeah. farther than me. Impressive. <laughs> yeah, it was. I forget the author, but it was a really old book. It was from like, you know, like nineteen fifty or something. Mm-hmm. And it was um, this guy who was claiming that. You know, they, all the breatharian people, they always say... Oh, is it breatharian? Did I fuck it up? Is it not breatharian? I thought it was breatharian. I think it's breatharian. Uh, breatharian. It I'm so sorry, all breatharians <laughs> out there. I apologize. <laughs> I fucked that up. Yeah, they always um, they always say they don't need to eat food, right. but then they always eat food and <laughs> say that it's to keep themselves... Yes. It's so that they can communicate can, yeah. on our resonance <laughs> Plane. that's right that's right it's every once in a while when you know it's late at night i can't sleep i just go to youtube and i type in one of those breatharian uh videos and i just watch those because they're so awesome <laughs> oh you know i've never done that i'm gonna have to do that oh tonight. go down the rabbit hole go enjoy my friends <laughs> enjoy <laughs> the vegan ones are awesome too you know like the girl that um was talking about you know i mean i remember I mean, for me, watching vegan videos has probably been like 10 years now, you know, when I just first started. And then I remember slowly watching watching one and the girl was talking about how she lost her period. She's like, it's toxic. I, I had my period. It was toxicity coming out of my body. And now I don't have my period anymore. I kid you not. And then, uh, you know, I feel great. And then, um, and then that same girl later on, she had pictures of it. I mean, and it was true. I don't know, I don't, unless if she put on context, but her, literally her, the color of her eyes changed after being raw vegan well that's what she claimed i mean i don't fucking know i mean uh, i never went full raw vegan but um yeah so back to sugar (laughs) why is sugar yeah (laughs) sugar's getting up on from all sides um so like historically i think what happened because i remember i was i grew up mostly in the 90s i was born in 1984 so the big thing back then was empty calories. Mm-hmm. So things like candy, uh, soda pop. I guess yes, soda. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, things that are just you know sugar with maybe a flavoring or something, um, and sometimes sugar and fat. 
like in a you know Reese's or something or a chocolate bar. Twinkie. Yeah. So those were the bad thing was they're empty calories. So the idea was you're getting calories, but you're not getting any vitamins and minerals, and so it, that's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that slowly over time, this the result. The, the there was the Atkins thing from like the seventies. And then it sort of merged together uh, because people were getting fatter Mm -hmm. and getting more diabetic and uh, sugar, mostly actually like high fructose corn syrup and processed foods was increasing. Yeah. Which is the the empty calorie thing, which is funny because I remember being in college and watching, uh, I mean, uh, being in a lecture and we were taught, you know, like, yeah, sugar's bad, empty calories you want to choose whole grain bread and then I remember you know having the textbook in front of me because whole grain bread has all these vitamins and has this and I remember looking at it and it also has fortified and I remember thinking well like so technically flour is also empty fucking calories but it's fortified with calories that we're you know, right. with with vitamins and minerals that we're putting in there so why wouldn't mm-hmm. eating this be better? Just be, couldn't I just take a multivitamin and eat some sugar? Wouldn't and it eat be sugar. <laughs> that, that that was my thought process, you know. But you know, because people, yeah, it's hard to think about these things. We all get so confused, you know. But yeah, mm-hmm. that was the thing. It's like how can you know? Because there's there's really no. I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's trace amounts of some B vitamins in in whole grains, and even if they're whole, yeah. I mean, they're not. Those are not the same grains, you know. At, when you go to Kroger or whatever Walmart to buy some. Uh, bread i mean it's so yeah it's not the same thing <laughs> yeah yeah there's something again there's something kind of easy to make that argument because when people look at sugar and they look at like corn syrup it just i don't know like i guess sugar you know it looks like cocaine on a certain <laughs> level and people have made that argument like scientists have made the argument like ner- uh neuro endocrinologists or whatever that sugar you consuming sugar and the reward uh is sugar is like cocaine of, right that's what they yeah, say like that the, the cocaine receptor system and it's like isn't it more likely that the cocaine uses like the food yes. reward system <laughs> yes that's exactly my thought process too i, I, I remember thinking like <laughs> okay so sugar is like cocaine but what hold on like before we had cocaine i mean <laughs> <laughs> right like that's yeah. what, it's so funny it's the same thing that i remember thinking like you know yet going along with it i don't know it's yeah <laughs> and so yeah I, so you know just i mean the, the typical argument for sugar would be like um you know you eat sugar you, you release a lot of insulin so obviously when you release a lot of insulin you get uh fat and that causes insulin resistance uh-huh. and blah 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 and diabetes and etc etc um you know, does sugar have, you know, how about the glycemic index? I mean, is that a valid sort of thing to look at? I mean, and compare yeah. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As, as far as I can tell, I mean, I've, I've done my own personal experiments, um, like sort of demonstrating that the glycemic index is real in the sense that uh, I taught physiology when I was a graduate student. And one of the labs that I taught was a blood sugar lab. Mm-hmm. Um, which I was amazed. We would make the students do four uh, blood glucose tests. So they would have to prick their finger with one of those uh, metal, like the plastic spring lances. Mm-hmm. And 
uh, use um, a strip, you know, put a drop of blood on a strip and into a glucometer mm-hmm. four times over the course of like three hours. Uh, and so every year when we would, um, all of the people who taught the class together, we would like prepare the class that week and we would do it to ourselves just to make sure all the equipment was working right and everything. And I would take that opportunity to like eat something or not eat something and test my blood sugar. Mm-hmm. Cause I was able to, t- I could test my blood glucose like as many times as I wanted. Cause there's just like are bottles that, and bottles of testing strips. Are those little, uh, you know, Amazon things you can buy the gl- glucose monitor things. Are, are they, you know, pretty accurate or no? Or are you talking about using something else to test it? Uh, I don't know what brands are good. Mm-hmm. So I've never looked at like stuff you can buy like consumer cuz you know I think like not that long ago consumers couldn't buy some of that stuff. Yeah. Like it was medical only. Yeah, I think you can now like even if you go to like a CVS or whatever, I usually yeah. cast those monitors. Um but but then I've had I've tested different brands and they were like not hugely off but like, you know, maybe 10 points or something like that off. So that's I can imagine that. Yeah. yeah, so that's the thing. It's like, you know, how accurate are those things? But they are doing the continuous glucose monitors, you know, the ones that just attach to your arm. But you do yeah. have I think you have to in the states at least you have to get a uh, prescription for that. So, uh-huh. Uh, yeah, so I I could see like, you know, if I ate sugar, my blood glucose would go up less than if I ate like I f- I forget what I exactly what I ate, but like if you eat something that is like say bread or something that is um, the carbs are pretty much all from glucose versus something like sugar where it's 50-50 glucose and fructose mm-hmm. you can see it you can see it testing your own blood sugar that the sugar the you know sugar sugar table sugar pure white sugar yeah 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 will make your blood glucose go up less right uh, so actually and- in fact blue, uh, pure white table sugar has a less you know a, a, a smaller glycemic index than Right. does bread which uh-huh. again we're all taught to eat the whole heart healthy grains and all that stuff um okay right. <laughs> yeah that's you know it's just it's so interesting so i mean looking over the history of sugar you know because and that's the other thing is the argument is that you know over time sugar sugar consumption has gone up and obesity has uh-huh. gone up diabetes has gone up um but you know what else has gone up in those times right <laughs> vegetable oil <laughs> <laughs> and i mean are those have you looked at those studies is it are they accurate that the sugar consumption has gone drastically up because from what i've heard is like maybe the last since i don't know i don't i've looked at some study maybe it was the 70s and the 80s they said it was already starting to decrease um from what i've seen it peaked in like right before the year 2000. Oh, okay, okay. And that's counting sucrose and, you know, high fructose corn syrup and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So in terms of, and there's different data sets and they don't agree 100% obviously, but because there's data sets that measure um, like how much things are purchased and how much things are produced mm-hmm. and things like that. And they, they usually correlate pretty closely, but it looks like, probably because of a lot of the stuff going around about how sugar is bad and carbs are bad, that sugar consumption, simple sugar consumption peaked around the turn of the century and has gone down a little bit. 
Mm-hmm. And, and all that stuff, like diabetes, has still continued to increase. Right. Which, and what is the, in one of your talks, I think you had, or maybe it was your um, YouTube channel that you had um, a percentage. What's the percentage that the vegetable oils have gone up in the last 100 years? Is uh, it like 300% or something oils? like that? Something crazy? Yeah, vegetable oils, not counting soybean oil, because that number is just crazy. <laughs> uh, it was like 250. It was just over 250%. And then, so like corn, safflower, all that stuff. Uh, and then soybean oil, for whatever reason, it's just a huge cash crop. Mm-hmm. And it's in everything. I, I think it's the primary component in most, if you just buy unlabeled vegetable oil, that's just not it's a specific type oil. of oil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that went up like over 100,000% because it was basically not in the diet at all uh, at the beginning of the 20th century. Hmm. And now it's like 10%, I think, of the average caloric intake is, well, ten, from the omega-6 fatty acids mm-hmm. uh, itself. And most of that is from soybean oil or these other vegetable oils. Okay, so maybe you should... Yeah, think think twice about eating those oils. Um, and as far as comparing sugar to, you know, the high fructose corn syrup, because that would be, you know, the other big thing. It's like, well, everybody's also drinking cola and all those kind of things, which has, you know, because usually nowadays they, it's cheaper, I think, right? Is that why companies put in high fructose corn syrup in there instead of just plain sugar because it's just cheaper to make? Yeah, I think it's cheaper for, like, um, political reasons, like tariffs on sugarcane imports and subsidies to corn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they're able to get the corn and do the process to make the syrup. I don't know, like who knows what would be cheaper if those things changed. Right, right. And have you have you tested specifically high fructose corn syrup compared to sugar? No, I've actually never like consumed uh, <laughs> like pure <laughs> high fructose corn syrup. I've never actually... Uh, okay. I've only seen it like on videos, you know, like those videos that are like, look how bad this is. And it's right. But I mean, you've had like a Coke process. and all that, even with like just a oh, yeah, 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 like yeah, yeah. Coke, blah, blah, blah. Right. Uh, yeah, I did not actually, the, the little like self-experimentation that I did was, um, it was solid food. Mm-hmm. So like I would eat candy mm-hmm. or like things that were just pure sugar mm-hmm. or I would eat candy that had fat in it and you could see a difference there mm-hmm. or, you know, like a slice of bread or something like that. So do you go out of your way to, to avoid high fructose corn syrup just because you're not sure about it? Or, I mean, is it is just another form of sugar to you? Uh, I, I think that sucrose is better. Mm-hmm. I think the 50-50 the glucose fructose mix of sucrose, I think it's like, <laughs> I the think that's spot? the perfect mix. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right, because I mean... And it, it tastes better. Yeah, it does taste better. I mean, Mexico all the way, right? So yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean that was another thing. Like I told you when I when I moved from Russia, I remember you know trying the drinks and they just. It's, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Coke still tastes good. Like you know, I mean, I think you're an <laughs> asshole if you're just gonna say it doesn't taste good. Like come on with a burger and some fries and get the fuck out of here. But right. I mean, that's one thing I remember still trying a Coke and I was like, this tastes like different, you know. And because uh-huh. in, in Russia it's the same thing, I guess. As I mean, although I don't know today, I haven't had a Coke there and I don't know. I, don't, I haven't noticed. I guess. Um, yeah, because it was the same, just sugar. Because high fructose, I mean, what is that? Is there a, a number to what's the percentage of fructose it is to glucose? Yeah, so anything that's over, 
I think over 50% fructose okay. is called high fructose corn syrup. But in the industry, I think it's most efficient. And they've, over the years, they've improved the process. So, like, they can get an end product that's higher in fructose. Mm-hmm. So, basically, the higher the fructose, they can get more sweetness units. Out so, you of don't the really know volume. the exact number. It could be 52%. Uh, fructose. Yeah. And it could be. Yeah. Like, I think for different processes, they use different types. So like if like Coke, for example, they probably have a recipe where they're like, okay, we use this type of high fructose corn syrup with these percentages, like right. say 65, 35. And then, um, but say there's like a company that makes crackers mm-hmm. and they just add a little bit of sweetener. They might want to use 80% fructose, 20% glucose, high fructose corn syrup because they want to use as little as possible because they're making a solid product. Right. So it's easy, you know what I mean? But they're not required to label it and, and to, I mean, to tell you which one, what percentage they're using, it's just high fructose yeah. could be anything. Yeah, I've never, yeah, I've never seen that labeled on any kind of... Why would you want to? I mean, and, and that that's the other, you know, thing with um, the low carb side, which I was super into too at one point, um, you know, fructose. Um, you know, it was like, fructose causes metabolic damage and fructose causes this and fructose is you know i mean just gonna turn you into a zombie and blah 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 and and um i remember for me the turning point was um as you can tell i love watching random youtube videos um i started watching fruitarians i don't know you've probably seen some fruitarian videos you know these dudes where they're just like wake up eat a watermelon and by watermelon a whole fucking watermelon and then they go sprinting you know they go running for 20 miles yeah. come back home eat like 16 mangoes and um yeah i did that for a while you yeah you went full fruitarian i i like yeah I, I didn't quite get there to the raw thing because i just like <laughs> i was like i need something cooked um yeah. that's funny and yeah for me the one thing that i did notice is like holy shit this guy's eating a whole watermelon you know 20 mangoes 15 pineapples or whatever and like that's a lot of calories and none of them are fat i've never seen Mm. i mean they all are if anything they almost look you know like anorexic they look very skinny so Mm. what's the hate with the fructose (laughs) uh that's hard to say i think it's i think it was just um that high fructose corn syrup was made to be the villain mm-hmm. along with sugar. So it was like, sh- you know, sugar is kind of the catch-all term that people are like, okay, sugar's bad. And then they're like, but you want to know what's really bad? And it's kind of a secret. Like, <laughs> you want to know what's in all of our, you know, all the processed food and they don't tell you is like high fructose corn syrup. Right. Uh, and then, because I don't think fructose, I don't think anybody talked about it in popular culture until high fructose corn syrup so everybody when they hear fructose they just their referent for that term is high fructose corn syrup so they don't understand like it's named after fruit you know fruit sugar because most people normal people still think fruit is healthy right well you know yeah 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 and i've had that exact conversation (laughs) where they were like you know, don't eat this because it has sugar. And I was like, okay, what about fruit? Well, it, you know, it has, and I was like, what kind of sugars, you know, in fruit? They're like fructose. And I was like, well, what if I, I mean, even me, you know, <laughs> 10 years ago, if you talk to me, I didn't know that sucrose play, you know, plain white sugar was, you know, glucose and fructose. And I think people should be told that and that maybe gets the engine rolling. Um, yeah. I mean, if you look at, you know, the Ray Pete, so how did you get into Ray Pete stuff? I mean, did you, 
start drinking two gallons of milk kind of thing? Or was it a, because <laughs> I know you said you got into him in college. I mean, how did you make yeah. that switch? Well, in grad school. Okay. Um, uh -huh. Now, I kind of, I did it slowly. So it was like, because I was really, it, it was the same thing with all my transitions. Like, I really did believe in, like, the raw vegan diet or, like, an agenist vonderplanist type diet or when I was eating mostly raw meat. I really did believe in that, and it was hard mm -hmm. uh, to switch. So, like, in that case, I started to have all these doubts. And I think I think for the longest time I kept eating, like, raw meat like I normally did and I was just like drinking orange juice too <laughs> <laughs> so that was the initial step that just started to drink orange juice huh yeah and then I started making coffee because uh, actually I didn't drink coffee I was just one of those people who's like well coffee's not good for you, you know? yeah yeah I, yeah yeah that's interesting you know for a while that's like a very old school Russian thing it's like don't drink coffee but we, mm -hmm. we drink a shitload of tea like you know, if you're, <laughs> yeah, we're like, right. even if you go to like an Olympic training center, um, you know, guys will do like, you know, they'll do a set of snatch and then in between you go to like a thermostat and they have like a cup of tea and then they go back and just don't do the thing. So, That's cool. so yeah, yeah. Um, but coffee, I mean, now it's be now because, you know, the big cities in Moscow, St. Petersburg, there's coffee shops everywhere and, um, my brother owns a coffee shop in Moscow, you know, shout out to the bearded dog coffee in Moscow. <laughs> um, oh, nice. It's becoming, yeah, yeah, it's becoming, you know, more of a, but before, me too, I mean, growing up, and I used to have a martial arts teacher who would just, you know, don't drink coffee. I mean, it's just, it's kind of, um, you know, winds you up and it's just kind of an old school thing. So you started drinking coffee in OJ and still eating the raw meat, you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, because I had, I had this like system where um, I found a, I don't know if you know about this, but in Pennsylvania and a couple other states, there's Amish yeah. people. I lived in Ohio and... when I moved from uh, Russia. Okay. So I know right. what's up. <laughs> so I uh, found uh, suppliers of like really high quality grass fed raw dairy yeah. and all kinds of other like grass fed meat and stuff that yeah. I would get a box of stuff from every week. And I just had this system where I would like, put it in the freezer and then I would take out a certain amount of meat and um, also raw beef fat mm -hmm. and like blend them together. And I would have like in my fridge, I'd have thawing out meat and then I'd have the meat that was ready to go. And there was this whole system mm -hmm. that I'd built up over years and it was really efficient. I didn't have to think about it. So even just that just kind of, it was, it was like, I, I, it's like, what am I going to eat if I stop eating this? Like it had become, such a normal thing like if you're if you have a routine that you do every day for say three years yeah um so i i very slowly added other things to that routine and then eventually i don't think i stopped buying stuff from that those farmers until i moved they make good but shit, i started man. buying different things yeah they make good uh, shit they make uh this the only people that make i don't know if you know what farmer's cheese that's what you guys call it here farmer's cheese you ever heard of that yeah. Amish make, it's sort of it's not quite cottage cheese but that's the closest thing to in Russia there's a, call, a thing called Tvarok it's very popular it's like our sort of cheese and all the bodybuilders and, and athletes kind of eat it so that's kind of our version because cottage cheese is like what's popular here but it's not quite the same um, so and you know it's talking about dairy because you know Ray Pete's thing is so huge on uh, dairy and milk and uh, mm -hmm. the two liters you know a day kind of thing he recommends um, why is he so, why is he so adamant about calcium? I mean, 
because uh, he thinks the calcium phosphate ratio is like really important mm-hmm. uh, to the parathyroid in particular, um, and that yeah, it's kind of like a master metabolic regulator. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't looked too super into it um, into the literature, although it's definitely true that there's a lot of phosphates in most foods, and that um, you can that the thyroid does, you know, make hormone that starts to do bone resorption, mm-hmm. even if you're not deficient in calcium, but just you have like a, your ratio goes up mm-hmm. of phosphates to calcium. Mm-hmm. So he seems to think that that's really important. But it sounds like you're not convinced. Well, I don't drink two liters of milk. <laughs> I do take, um, I don't always do it, but just recently I made uh, a bunch of, I have like a, a bag of um, gelatin capsules mm-hmm. in my fridge, and I <clears throat> I made a bunch of eggshell calcium mm-hmm. supplements. Just like I saved my eggshells and cleaned them off, and boiled them, and then baked them in the oven to dry them off, and put them in a blender, and just put the powder mm-hmm. into capsules. So so I probably get a similar amount of calcium to what he recommends. Close enough. So, and uh, and when you're not taking those pills, I mean, you're just not. You're just whatever, having cheese stuff like that. I mean, what is your yeah. diet like nowadays? Uh, it's always changing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I eat a decent amount of cheese and meat. Um, I try to put collagen powder and stuff like that stuff to get my glycine mm-hmm. ratio up in anything I can. Which so, why, like, why would you want, why would you want to do that instead of just having meat by itself uh so that's a whole other repeat topic of the amino acids and so the sulfur amino acids methionine and cysteine Mm -hmm. in particular are really high in meat and also glutamate and those have sort of negative effects like metabolizing methionine is actually the main job of b12 and that's the main thing that gets messed up when because you know when you're in the vegan world, one of the biggest topics is B12 deficiency. Right, because everybody's deficient, all and you know, <laughs> and everybody should be taking shots. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a big one. Uh, so, and the reason why is because they'll build up; they can't metabolize those sulfur amino acids without that vitamin. So um, their their view, the vegan point of view, is that yeah, everybody used to get enough uh, B12 from the soil, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> um, and that everybody, not only vegans, are deficient now because you know you, even if you eat animal products, you still can be deficient in B12, and so you're a goddamn animal killer, and you should stop eating meat. And <laughs> <laughs> so that's their view. And I mean, yeah. how true is that? Because you've I've also heard uh, read other studies where you know it says your B12 can be synthesized in your gut, right? So you don't even have to consume, you know. D- consume it Mm. yeah that so i haven't checked on a lot of this recently Mm -hmm. but that is that most of that synthesis occurs uh in the lower intestine Mm -hmm. and at that point it's kind of too far for absorption Mm -hmm. so uh that's not super relevant um for your intake but you know there are some populations in certain countries that will consume feces and the theory (laughs) i want to move there where do i go kyle (laughs) (laughs) and there there are 
vegan. You, they're usually like a really highly vegetarian society. So the theory is, it like is Aboriginals that in Australia or some shit like that. Because I mean, actually, I think it's like a sub-Indian population. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, and yeah, the idea. Now this oh, could be it's... like old information, and maybe this isn't true. But the idea is that they developed that practice because they weren't getting any B12 from their vegan diet. Yeah, or they're just like eating shit, man. <laughs> I mean, who, who fucking knows? <laughs> or it's just a fetish. <laughs> They're just into it. Oh, man. They have tea parties with it. <laughs> hey! Um, yeah. But, yeah, so uh, glycine is... Actually, it's interesting. So a lot of the... Um, you know the longevity research on calorie restriction? Yeah. This is one of the points that people make, is that a lot of those effects in animals like mice and rats can be replicated by giving them diets that are deficient in methionine. Uh, That's an important both. point. So you're saying, so if they were not to eat a lot of, because uh, mu muscle meat is the big source of methionine, right? Mm -hmm. mm, any other foods that have that amino acid? I think, I think dairy has a decent amount of it. I think all the animal fats have a decent amount of it uh -huh. uh, and muscle meat is the highest so you're saying if they were to just eat like collagen which is deficient in methionine and gelatin it could replicate mm -hmm. that calorie restriction yeah yeah so that's the other finding is that so the methionine restriction has benefits and then also they found that playing around kind of like with calcium and phosphate for parathyroid hormone that the effects they were getting from methionine restriction could be replicated by just uh, upping the glycine to methionine ratio. Mm -hmm. So, um, so you can try to reduce methionine, or you can increase glycine, or both. But it seems like that ratio is sort of a master regulator of. Um, I mean, if you really want to get into it, I mean, it's like the mTOR pathway. And, right, which is all which, the bodybuilders love that fucking yeah, thing, <laughs> mTOR. Like this poster with, like, Yeah, I think I've seen and... one or two of them, like, as they're maxing out, they scream mTOR, you know? So that's uh, that's the big one. I mean, is there a, you know, a basic way you can explain that thing? Yeah, it's kind of like a master, <clears throat> like, growth and cell activation node like mm -hmm. biochemical node and so the whole thing with methionine and those amino acids and mTOR signaling it's kind of a double-edged sword because it's really beneficial to causing muscle growth um and that's that's kind of the thing about growth even like growth hormone and a lot of the hormones that people know are sort of bad like estrogen causes cells to divide and grow faster mm -hmm. so there's kind of this balance in the body where growth obviously you have to grow at some point and if you're trying to build muscle your muscles have to grow so those amino acids will stimulate muscle growth more than other amino acids however it has these other effects um things like inflammation and just other pathways that are sort of related with like aging so it's kind of like growth and aging kind of so sort of other go. things are going to grow along with it Yes, and, he, and just sort of the metabolic pathways that are required for growth mm -hmm. also have these other effects that are sort of more in the aging world. And that, um, 
So, like, if you wanted to super totally maximize, and you can see this in bodybuilders. I mean, they take all kinds of stuff and maximize their size, and it, it's not healthy. Right. Then they get, like, elbow growths. I mean, I, I, yeah. Or uh, their heads fucking triple the size. Um, yeah. You yeah, and they start to get, like, um, big guts. Like, when they take hormone, yeah, their intestinal muscles grow, and they get, like, a bloated look. All, all kinds of things happen, and it's... It's it's like yeah if you push that system you push that growth system yeah to its limits yeah it it has all kinds of side effect targets um, yeah. other than just your muscles you want to look better yeah I work out at Gold's Gym over here in uh, Venice the kind of the mecca bodybuilding oh. now known and um, yeah we have a lot of those guys that have the you know eight month pregnant belly but fucking six pack <laughs> on top <laughs> you know it's just the best the coolest looking thing ever. <laughs> All the girls want that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, and so, but I mean, when you're basically, when you, you know, if you're a dude that's never lifted before and you start lifting and putting on muscle, that's what you're doing. You're activating that pathway, mTOR. That's why all the bodybuilders yeah. mention it all the time. I mean, is it, can you grow muscle? I mean, it's always going to get activated, right? It's not like you can grow muscle without it getting activated. Right. It's just there's, yeah. there's levels to it, yeah? It, exactly. Yeah. Just like estrogen, like when, when, a, you know, like what you were saying about the person that lost her period, the mm -hmm. vegan, like it's, it's actually, it's not, that's not good either. So it's, it's not good to have like really high sex hormones and to have like a, a big up and down of like estrogen and, and progesterone fighting back and forth. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes people will have like really painful and heavy periods from that. But at the same time, if you have, if those, things fall below a certain threshold you'll start to have issues too so like with mTOR it's just kind of like because a lot of people especially in the repeat world they they sort of talk about things as if you could live forever if you just like did the right things you know yeah like if we just ate no PUFA and like suppressed estrogen and like cortisol as much as possible it's like you live forever and you could live longer, you know, and you can be healthy longer. And uh, who knows what the limit is? Mm -hmm. But the processes that our cells do to live and to grow are the same processes, you know, like the mTOR pathway. Like that isn't it's necessary. Like if you could take a drug that totally shut it down, hundred mm percent, -hmm. you'd die. Yeah. So. So yes. it's not something that you're trying to avoid completely, which a lot of vegans talk about, I think, sometimes too, right? Because they, they mention that you don't want that pathway to be uh, turned on or whatever. Or am I wrong about that? Maybe. I've never really heard vegans talk about it. I mean, I've never heard <laughs> vegans talk about something like that intelligent. Uh, <laughs> what do you mean, a lot of man? Them are, like spiritual, spiritually based, which is fine. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been there. <laughs> I think we've all been there. Yeah, and so it's true. I, I think that that's, I think that like vegetarians will have different health outcomes that are better in some ways because they are avoiding those amino acids. That's probably true. So that's but what at you the think same is, time. Yeah. yeah, they can't. Well, they're also avoiding a lot of iron. Right. Kind of artificially depleting themselves of iron and all kinds of things that synergistically can cause problems. Yeah. Like also if you're eating PUFA. So like if you're eating a standard American diet, so that's the thing. Like. Um, I was in a debate once with a vegan and he had all this data and the data is, I don't think it's fraudulent. Mm -hmm. Like the average vegetarian in America will have less, whatever it's like, you know, say cardiovascular disease than the average 
meat-eating American. Mm-hmm. But they're not comparing, like, the a meat-eating person who is avoiding vegetable oil yes. and and stuff like that. They're, they're, you know what I mean? Like, that, the pool. So all of those data sets. Yeah, what you know, kind of meat are they eating? Like, yes, that that is the big thing. That's me too. I get in these you know, conversations a lot of time where it's like, were they meat versus no meat? I mean, like, are you talking about meat from fucking McDonald's every day and, you know, the whatever, just packaged stuff and processed stuff? Or are you talking about, like, you know, fresh butchered stuff and liver and all those kind of good things? That is the problem. That's the big, big problem with those studies is that people, like you said, people compare, you know, vegetarians to this and that. And I mean, and like you said, like, I've, I've always thought, you know, if I had to be vegetarian, I could do it just because I think, you know, with cheese and eggs and stuff. I mean, it's totally doable, but going full vegan, just something about it, you just kind of feel, yeah, you don't feel that great. And um, iron is another thing that Ray Pete talks about often. Um, mm-hmm. Why? And you've heard certain guys say, like, iron is, um, we're getting too much of it now and it's in our foods. Is that is that true? Yeah, yeah. The grain supply by law in America and... I don't know how many other countries, but mm-hmm. s- several other countries is fortified with iron. So, and also, you know, vitamins, but iron and that they just like put iron shavings in there. Mm-hmm. It's really bizarre. How did that come about that they started putting iron in there? Uh, it all came about, I think it was around, it was either around World War II times or maybe the first half of the 20th century, but there were some issues. So there was a big like, uh, do you know about the Weston A. Price yeah. stuff with yeah. the nutrition and physical degeneration? So yeah. when he was doing his work, there was this difficult transition in modern societies where they were making processed foods, and it's seen as this great innovation, um, but they didn't understand that much about vitamins and minerals. Yeah. So there was like a generation or two where people were consuming these foods that were, say, like the processing the process uh, depleted whatever vitamin three b3 or something right and so there'd be a bunch of people with these really bad deficiencies um and this was not understood for a long time and so the government was like all right well so you know what's the minimum amount that people need of and then they picked a bunch of things like the b vitamins and iron and they're like well we'll just take care of this by putting it in the grain supply and everybody eats grains anyway Mm -hmm. so there you go so uh, iron, but why specifically did they choose iron? Is it because everybody was deficient because there was, I mean, the big sources of iron are meats, right? Or, or animal products. And so it was sort of deficient and they just started putting iron into other foods. Well, I think there's a, you know, a lot of people will be anemic. Um, that's another, like, deep issue is the cause of anemia. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's sort of this stereotype that if you're anemic, it's iron deficiency. Yeah. But... Um, from what I've seen, that's actually maybe not even half of the causes, like clinically, of anemia, and that it could be a million other things. Um, yeah, I recently discovered that. Associated. Yeah, yeah, I recently discovered that because I used to have a girlfriend that was, you know, anemic, and the one thing they told her just eat, you know, iron, take iron pills. And I was thinking, probably not a good idea. But um, <laughs> researching Ray Pete, it's like. You know, he has a different view. I mean, and if you're mm-hmm. consuming animal pro- uh, products, you're basically getting enough iron, right? You're not getting sufficient levels. You're not going to be deficient in it. Yeah, yeah, unless you have some sort of, like, intestinal 
like weird genetic disease where you can't absorb iron. Yeah, it, it's actually the thing with iron is like we hold on to iron. The reason why you can get toxic toxicity with iron is our bodies are very thrifty with iron. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason why is pretty simple. Like in the wild or whatever. Like if you, I don't know, lost a lot of blood. Mm-hmm. Like iron is totally super one hundred percent necessary <laughs> for right. oxygen transport in the body. So if you get really low on iron, like that's it. Like you, you absolutely need it. Yeah. So you can imagine that, you know, in our in our history as humans, like when people didn't have access to a lot of meat or, you know, when people would get injured more and, and would, would bleed and lose a lot of blood, mm-hmm. we had to have bodies that were uh, efficient with iron, you know, to just to keep like the bare minimum. Uh, and now we live in times where like if people lose a lot of blood, they get, you know, like a blood transfusion or, you know, and, and we have ways to stop bleeding, like um, stitches and all kinds of things. And people, at least in industrialized countries, have access to hot, you know, foods with a lot of heme, iron, like animal foods. Mm. So it's really not an issue anymore. So now it's it's basically this like curse that we have, which is that our bodies are super thrifty with a mineral that is not so scarce for us anymore. Right. Because they say, you know, that's one of the theories, as some people say that why women live longer right? It's because they have their periods so mm-hmm. they lose some of that iron and i mean what happens when you're consuming too much iron what's the you know this the um, what are the studies is there any studies that you read people consuming too much iron what happens yeah yeah it um so there's iron binding proteins and there's a certain amount of iron that you know you want to have floating around um associated with like ferritin and and other proteins and uh when you start to have excess iron, it, it starts to pop up in your tissues and in your blood on liganded and just free. Mm-hmm. And that's what you don't want. And the reason why is because, well, for example, when they make margarine and they make uh, the, the trans fats, you know, the, the yeah. process to make solid fats. The good stuff. Out of, the taste, <laughs> the health. <laughs> um, they catalyze the reaction with nickel. Yeah because uh, nickel can go through this electric state um, that like transfers the, the electrons with the hydrogens and, and artificially saturates the fatty acid chains. And so a similar reaction like that can occur in your body between iron, if it's associated with polyunsaturated fatty acids, mm-hmm. and oxygen or um, some kind of oxygen species like hydrogen peroxide, or, or a fatty acid that's already oxidized. Anything that has, like, a free, accessible oxygen. Mm-hmm. Um, can, And so, yeah, it starts to catalyze these um, sort of, like, unapproved, unnecessary reactions that break things down. Mm-hmm. And so when they tell people that they're anemic and they need to eat more iron, I mean, what are some of the other things that you said you were reading about that it could be? Well, anemic basically just means that you don't have enough red blood cells most mm-hmm. of the time. Uh, and one cause of that, because to produce red blood cells and to keep them alive, you need iron. So it's possible that somebody could be iron deficient and that causes anemia. But there's a lot of other causes. One is B12 deficiency. Mm-hmm. Uh, if somebody's vegan, then that's a really likely cause. Uh, I think that's called pernicious anemia. 
So we we made it back to B12. Yeah, and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's good. It was a long roundabout. And uh, so what, we were talking about B12, you know, and even recently, I don't know if you've seen uh, Joe Rogan experience, you know, the big debate he had there with the guy that created um, Game Changers, I think it's called, that vegan documentary on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen it. I have not. Oh, it's hilarious. you got to check it out, dude. You'll, you'll have a blast. <laughs> um <laughs> But but you know he debated uh, Chris Cresser. You know who Chris Cresser is? Yeah, I know him. Um, sort of the ancestral kind of paleo food guy. Um, they had a debate on uh, Rogan's podcast, and this uh, guy he just came ready with the vegan knowledge. And I mean, in the debate, he spanked his ass. Honestly, Chris Cresser, because Chris Cresser is kind of you know like you know nice guy, and um, that guy was fired. Wow. Up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So and he had a lot of data, you know, talking about B twelve and how. That's why we we shoot animals with B12 because the animals are also deficient with B12, like you know the animal, animals that we consume, um, and that pretty much everybody's deficient. Um, I mean, if you're consuming good quality meat, do you think you're getting enough B12? Should you be getting more B12? I mean, is it something you know? Is it smart to get one of those shots that people do sometimes? Probably. Uh, <laughs> is it worth? Some- I mean, you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can take it orally. Um, the only issue with oral B12 is that as you get older, you can absorb it less well mm-hmm. uh, because there's this, I think it's called intrinsic cofactor. This is like all stuff I, I just used to be really into when I was in like the vegan world. And now it's like, I don't even think about it because it's like, well, who cares? I eat meat. <laughs> uh, so you yeah, think I mean, you're covered. Regardless, so yeah. regardless of whether people... Most people probably could benefit from more B12. Most people could probably benefit from more B vitamins in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but the really severe, debilitating, chronic B12 deficiency symptoms, mm-hmm. they really don't pop up in people that eat meat very often, and they pop up in vegans. So that guy can say that, and he can say, like, animals are deficient in B12, but, like, animals outside, they're not, like... Um, having seizures or (laughs) (laughs) and i mean yeah what are those symptoms of like being deficient is it just a typical kind of like whatever weak fragile kind of those so those are symptoms right it can like destroy your heart yeah so you need to have that methionine get processed it starts to actually kill heart cells Mm -hmm. cardio myocytes i think Mm -hmm. and also in the brain Mm -hmm. so one of the um early symptoms and actually this is like if you're having this symptom then you've already had some serious damage from deficiency but it would be like brain fogginess like confusion mm-hmm. uh and stuff like that and eventually i mean you'll just the, your brain and your heart will just um one of them will just stop working mm-hmm. and so you're saying um and what if you're being vegetarian you know would you be able to you think is it possible to get enough b12 just from milk dairy uh yeah eggs? probably yeah it would still be good. But meat obviously has more, and so does, like, the organ meats, like liver and all that sort of thing. Yeah, and I also think that just all of the different things in something like liver, um, because it's, like, the if you pull up, like, just Google, like, uh, B12 and, like, cofactor reaction, it'll give you the different biochemical processes it's involved in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and th- those, um, all those reactions, it, it, it requires other vitamins too. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, it's a, it's a whole kind of to get from like, it's like say a ten step thing 
to do this necessary process and like b12 is needed for like say three of the steps and then b3 is needed for this one so so it's a whole thing and you need all of them it's just that b12 is the hardest one to get yeah and so when you're we were talking about um collagen and um so having too much of the methionine and um is it tryptophan that's the other amino acid uh glutamate glutamate um yeah. well that's because glutamate opposes glycine mm-hmm. as a neurotransmitter but tryptophan that's the problem with tryptophan is that it makes um uh what's the uh or no tyrosine tyrosine, tyrosine i'm sorry I tripped yeah it makes oh. uh makes uh serotonin so yeah and then, then that's another whole bucket of worms there with the serotonin thing right right <laughs> yeah the repeat um thing so you know if you're so you you think that uh it's valid to not overeat the animal or at least balance out those amino acids with having some extra collagen or extra gelatin yeah i think that's actually like the paleo perspective works for that because um like i don't know if you grew up with this but like in American schools, at least in the 90s, mm. uh, the American Indians were romanticized, and it was like, oh, they, they used the whole animal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They took the blood. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but if you think of it that way, like, if you consumed proportionately, you know, with muscle meat that you eat, also, like, organs and skin and made um, broth out of joints and stuff, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you're you're balancing that out pretty well. So it's just people don't do that today. You know, people eat um, just the muscle meat, just a steak, and just stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. which is um, which is that that seems to be the new era of the low carb or paleo, whatever the fuck you want to call it, is the carnivore guys. That yeah, they do eat nose to tail. I, I think that's what they call it, nose to tail um, uh-huh. diet. You know, and so you're saying you're getting a, a much better balance of those amino acids because if you're you're promoting too much growth if you're just eating muscle meat. If you just, if all you eat is just steak, uh, yeah, you're getting too many. Yeah, other. well, if you think of it like, so I couldn't find. I tried to find this a while ago, but one one of the classes I was in in graduate school, um, the professor presented this really cool study where somebody found out the requirements for every amino acid, and they would like supplement an amino acid until. So, and they would be radio labeled um, the uh, carbons, I guess. I forget if it was the carbons or the oxygen. They radio labeled something in the amino acid, and they would overfeed that amino acid and then test how much of it get, got made into glucose. Mm-hmm. And they would do that for each amino acid, and they would like make sure that the levels of the other amino acids were high. And so they could see like if we overfeed this amino acid, the body will use it for protein synthesis until this level and then it'll start making glucose with it uh and so if you think of it that way right there's like a certain requirement that we have for all the amino acids to build our bodies okay Mm -hmm. and our bodies are made up of more or less the same things as like other animals you know yeah like our skin and our bones and our muscles and our organs you know, they're like different sizes and, and stuff like that, but more or less, you know, a cow liver yeah. has, you know, the same amino acids and stuff as like a human liver. And so if you think of it that way, then yeah, eating the whole animal, you know, basically gives you the um, the type and amount of amino acids as you need to build your own body. Mm-hmm. 
And I've heard yeah. Ray talk about somewhere um, where he says those, um, you know, consuming a lot of those, you know, methionine and um, I keep fucking it up. What's the other one? The, well, the two sulfurs are methionine and cysteine. Methionine and cysteine. So we're having them up to, you know, age 25 or whatever while you're still growing is fine and productive. And then after that, you want to start slowing it down. You think it's kind of valid, huh? Yeah, I think that's a good point for all those things that are growth factors, mm -hmm. is that the, the negative effects probably really pick up when you're in a, like, growth slows down, you know, because then it's, it's sort of like you don't need them as much, so it's just going to push growth into processes that are more like aging than just growth itself. Right, okay. And so... Okay, and how about supplements? I mean, you know, you mentioned you take some B vitamins now. Do you often do that, or is it just something you just kind of come and go whenever you feel like it? Or is it something that is there something that you take regularly? Uh, I just started. I made my own uh, B vitamins like a few weeks ago with those gelatin capsules, mm -hmm. and I just bought like bags from I think bulk supplements, yeah. just like bags of powder, and uh, scooped scooped each one in one at a time into the capsules. And I've been taking those um, for a while. I I wasn't taking supplements. I'll go a long time without taking anything. Mm -hmm. um, I usually have a thing of K two, okay, uh, and like I'll dump that like a couple drops in. Uh, say if I make coffee that has like cream or milk in it, so that it gets into the fat. Mm -hmm. um, and that's I'm one, not super that, big on supplements. Yeah, that but that's one for sure. I don't know if that's not the. I mean, it's it's like usually like B12, maybe vitamin D and K2. Those are like the most talked about, you know, sort of supplements. But K2, I mean, nobody really talks about that one at all. And you know, even getting it from food is pretty tough. I think getting a good, unless if you're eating Parmigiano Reggiano, is that pretty much? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is that the source of K2? Or I mean, is there? I think that's the only source of like physiologically relevant K2 that you could get from eating a normal amount of food. Or eating liver, right? I mean, you get some of that K2 in there. Uh, no? I'm not sure. I, it, there's probably some in there, but I don't know if it's if it's a lot. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, K2. I thought K2 by now would have been in a fad because <laughs> yeah. you can sort of... You know how, like, if you're paying attention to stuff online, you can see what people are talking... What certain types of people are talking about, and you kind of can guess that in two years or four years or whatever... Yeah. Other people will be talking about it and then after that then it's like normal people are talking about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because uh, I watched that happen with vitamin D. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. And wh why is K2, I mean, why is it important? And I mean, yeah, I I'm, me too. I'm surprised nobody talks about it that much. Uh, it's, it's necessary for carboxylation reactions, so adding carbons from CO2 to mostly to proteins and then to other uh, biomolecules and um, it's it's kind of like it's uh, Chris Masterjohn actually he do you read any of his stuff I read some of his stuff seen some of his videos yeah I think he probably has the best stuff on there because he talked about um, carboxylation metabolism it was probably like five years ago now but he, he had a whole big series on it mm. because I think that's that was one of the ways that he was, because he was sort of an early adopter uh, from the paleo world of being skeptical of super low carb diets mm -hmm. and saying like, you know, carbs are probably okay. 
And one of the reasons he gave was that CO2 yeah. is good. And when you, you know, burn carbs, you have more CO2. And mm-hmm. then he brought in the, the vitamin K thing and said, because people are like, well, why is CO2 good? He's like, well, this, this. And one of the things was it's necessary for all these vitamin K reactions to attach uh, carbons from CO2 to the different proteins to activate them in your metabolism. Okay. So you're saying if I'm like a hyperventilating and breathing like Wim Hof and taking off my shirt and jumping into the uh, ice, cold, <laughs> ice cold baths, you, are you saying I'm doing the opposite of what's good? I mean, cause yeah. th- talk about another fad, right? I mean, that thing is huge with everybody right now. Um, that's a real shame because that's, that's, <laughs> that's the way to put it. <laughs> that's a yeah. real shame. <laughs> like Wim Hof, it, he's kind of like... Um, similar to a power lifter yeah. like he's using a technique that makes his body able to do something and it's impressive what he's able to do in the same exact way that it's impressive what competitive power lifters can do right but the way they're using their body is not conducive to long-term health mm-hmm. um and he's able to do like you know he did that thing where i think he gave himself a virus and then yeah i think it was i think it was endotoxin or something like that and yeah he cured it or or whatever by doing yeah. breathing techniques and all that um, i think he basically just raised his cortisol yeah. and like caused that that kind of immune reaction and it's like yeah that will work yeah <laughs> and and yeah and you know and you hate to be the guy i hate to be the guy that's like you know you know uh, judging how people look you know i mean mm-hmm. I usually say, like, don't judge a book by its cover, but if it looks like shit, you know, it's worth checking out and, like, you know, getting to the bottom of it. I mean, it's not like he looks like shit, but he is aging, I think, in the last few years, like, rapidly. And I don't know. I, I, I also had those thoughts of, like, could it be that he's, you know, digging so deep into those, you know, crazy feats that he's doing that, you know, he, it's just it's aging him a little bit. I mean, well, I haven't, I haven't seen his recent pictures, but I became aware of him maybe three years ago or four years something like that and i noticed immediately that he has a lot of uh <laughs> like vessels in his nose yeah alcoholic's nose yeah yeah and to <laughs> me right away because he's talking about this breathing and he's talking about you know his method and everything and i'm thinking like cortisol uh, angiogenesis, you know, nitrous oxide angiogenesis. So I think he's definitely what he's doing is causing his body to like produce more blood vessels in different areas where, you know, maybe it's not good to have them be constructed there. And he's sort of like giving his body this false signal that it needs more vessels, you know, uh, laid down. Yeah. And, um, it, and I think it comes off. It's, it's sort of all backwards these days. I mean, because, again, CO2 is not... I mean, I don't know. I, I have never met anybody that actually talked about CO2 at all. Um, you know, and it's, it's always talked about oxygen, getting more oxygen in your body. Oxygen is good. If you go to take a yoga class, it's like, breathe into your heart chakra and get the oxygen in. <laughs> you know, it's always stuff like that. So, yeah. I mean, wh- what's why is CO2 kind of a necessary you know, product in the body. And I mean, I mean, we know it as a byproduct, right? That's what they say. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the importance of CO2? Well, the importance of CO2, I mean, it's almost the same as like in a car. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people 
are like, well, the exhaust is like the waste product. And on a certain level, that's true. Mm-hmm. But if you don't push the exhaust out of the car, you can't take in new air to combust into the intake uh, of the of the front of the car, you know, where the, the engine is, the air intake. Right. So it's like a necessary process. And similarly, if you don't have CO2 streaming out of your cells and uh, binding and interacting with hemoglobin to knock off oxygen, you're, you can't bring in new oxygen. So it's like a necessary sort of byproduct, but really... Um, Actually, one of my professors said something funny. Like somebody said, "Oh, CO two is the byproduct of metabolism," and she was like, she got all like mad, and she was like, "It's the product of metabolism." <laughs> <laughs> so professors are aware of that, like in your experience, yeah. Well, yeah, I, she just meant in a purely biochemical, like stoichiometric sense, mm-hmm. it is the product mm-hmm. of you know attaching oxygen. You know, you make uh, CO two and water by bringing in oxygen and, you know, attaching it to these energy molecules and stuff. So in that sense, like chemistry wise, it's like one of the products. Right. So, but then, you know, you would have, if you talk to somebody, they'll tell you like, well, what about when I go to, not that I've been to Mount Everest or whatever, and, you know, I'm getting higher in elevation, there's more CO2, so I feel like shit. I mean, is that really what's happening? Or... Is there a deeper That's hard thing? To say. Uh, I mean, what we do know is that people adapt to that. So, on a certain level, it's like, yes, if you have more oxygen available to a point, um, it's easier for your. You have to breathe less, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there is a point you can go too far with that, right? Which is like what you said with hyperventilation. Mm hmm. Um, so you need some amount of CO2, and you can kind of tweak your body, like, for example, athletes that go and do altitude training, and then they'll be, you know, adapted to a lower level of oxygen and a higher level of CO2, uh, and then it becomes easier for them at sea level to compete. Uh, that's true. And it's sort of the same thing with CO2. You need CO2, and there is a certain amount. Like if you put somebody <laughs> in an airtight container and they just exhale CO2, like they'll eventually die because right. they'll be too much CO2. Um, so, But it's the same thing with oxygen. If you were in a pure oxygen container, you would also die because you would be in a state of sort of like chemical hyperventilation, like you would have too much oxygen and you wouldn't be able to get it off of the hemoglobin, so you would, your cells wouldn't get oxygen. So is it as simple as, I mean, saying that when athletes go to train at high altitudes, when they come back to, you know, lower altitudes, is it because uh, they've trained to with less oxygen or is it that they've improved their system, you think? By being... Well, around, yeah, yeah, the less oxygen, like, it makes their system... So their system reacts just like you know muscles will grow. It's like they'll um, they'll make more uh, red blood cells, and mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure if it stimulates significant mitochondrial growth, but it might. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely more red blood cells to to transport the oxygen more efficiently. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, that's the thing you know. So 
probably hyperventilating is not something super healthy to be doing all the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously it's inducing a stress reaction. And yeah, you can induce a stress reaction in your body and raise your temperature and give yourself that, you know, his, his famous um, cold resistance. Yeah, cold plunge and all that. Abilities and um, stop infections, you know, by causing that stress response. Because you're basically inducing an immune response mm -hmm. from your, your breathing practice. And yeah, it, it's like a, it's a tool. It's like using your body for this thing, but that does like, it's, it's like you're using up your body's kind of energy to do that. And it's going to like age you. It's going to, there's a cost to it. So, yeah, because that's definitely becoming, everybody's on that. I mean, everybody famous is doing the cold plunges oh, and all that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, you're pretty good at, you seem like you're pretty good at keeping away from all that shit. <laughs> You don't really stay on that too much. That's good. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't even know how to follow like the things I follow online are so wacky at this point. It's like really esoteric like anime memes. Oh just, or something. just straight anime porn and all that. <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha. <laughs> we'll cut that section out of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding that's funny man yeah that's definitely is definitely the big i mean everybody you know doing the wim hof doing the cold plunge i mean again though you know like in it's definitely has a big history in russia like but in russia the way that we do it is like you go into a sauna you sit there you steam your ass off and then you jump into you know a cold lake or a cold pool but then you get out of it you don't stay there it's more of the idea being that you're, you know, you're opening your blood vessels and then constricting them again by jumping in the cold water and getting out. And then you, you do feel like a, you know, good sense of euphoria. But again, that could be just, you know, feeling the um, stress response, as you're saying. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, uh, I went to, I have some family from Sweden, and they do the same thing. Yeah, it's good. Uh, yeah, they do that shit. Yeah, they're, it's, uh, yeah, the European countries are big on that. Well, it's awesome, man. Um well, dude, I think that's about... Uh, you've been so generous with your time, man. Thanks oh, a lot. Yeah. I mean, fun. hey, if you want to chat more, we can chat more. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> if, you're, if you're hanging out. <laughs> Anything. So. What's, like, uh, been... You know, have you learned... What's, like, the most... Not the most, but the coolest thing you learned last year? I mean, anything physiology-wise, health sphere-wise? That's a good question. Uh, I don't... I'm not sure... I'm not sure I would remember. Um, <laughs> most of most of how I learn now is if I want to write something or make a video. Yeah. Uh, like while I'm doing the research for that. Uh -huh. um, so like right now, I'm actually working on a video right now about. Uh, it's actually it's about keto. It's it's. I'm actually trying to make a YouTube video that like upsets keto people oh no dude <laughs> don't do that <laughs> and the topic is going to be about why you have to use um glucose like you know glycogen and and stuff for high intensity exercise right and so i'm going through and explaining on the most minute level i can so i'm like every enzyme in the like beta oxidation and in glucose, like glycolysis, before getting into the um, oxidation of like, the, you know, the citric acid cycle and all that. Yeah. And the speed of those enzymes. 
And so, like, to demonstrate how if you're doing something like, say, lifting weights, you can't get the amount of ATP mm-hmm. to have the power, you know, the, the, the ATP, ATP production over time that you need for a muscle contraction yeah. from speed of these of the enzymes of, you know, beta oxidation of fats. Yeah. And uh, just even on a personal level, it's like just... You know, you would think, because I think, again, we've all been taught a little bit backwards where it's, you know, cardio exercise, you need a lot of carbohydrates, and maybe if you're not running so much, you don't need. I mean, I think that that would be the average person's thought process is like, you know, if you're just sitting around and benching or whatever, you don't need that much carbs because, you you know, you're just sitting there and your heart rate is not that high up. But even from a personal experience, it's like, you know, I would be running and I would be completely fine if I just ate, ate uh, ground beef and whatever, cashews. Um, but in the gym definitely you know doing like a, a workout when you want to do a shit you know high intensity stuff you know pull-ups push-ups blah 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 you want to do it fast you definitely eating more carbs you always perform better or if i didn't eat carbs i would always crave them like crazy after a, you know a workout like that so you know it seems to be yeah i mean it, there are again there's a lot of people that do the keto thing long term i think and they do the workouts but i don't know if they're you know constantly improving their fitness or maybe you know because it's, it's tough to tell with these things because a lot of people like the vegan stuff right it's like you've been you know fucking tom brady or whatever you know he's been like 30 40 years you know at the top of his game best player in the world you know everything is amazing hot wife blah 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 and then and then, <laughs> and then he goes vegan for two years and he says like well the vegan diet has built me and it's like well you know the way i look at it is like oh, motherfucker <laughs> like you know you've been you know you had you have massive amounts of talent already you know just the way you're born uh-huh. and then you know for for the last two years or even five years you've been vegan to me it's like you've climbed this mountain and it's like to get down from it it's gonna take some time so that's why it's hard to judge these crazy diets i think of course yeah yeah so that's the kind of stuff that i learn these days which is like really sort of overly detailed things about like, oh yeah, the rate of uh, this step in glycolysis is way faster than the, this step in glycolysis. Yeah, and what's your YouTube channel? Is it a YouTube uh, thing you're saying or are you just writing now? Yeah, um, well I, I'm, I still have to make the video, but I'm like sort of making my notes that I'll use on the video for it. So I'm like gathering the, that's the, that's the longest part is getting all of the, because sometimes it's really hard to get very basic scientific numbers yeah um like it's crazy like people don't know basic science they'll say oh this they'll just kind of assert something yeah and they've they haven't actually like read a paper where like they don't know where that came from they just heard it somewhere and you know it's probably true or whatever but they don't like really understand where it came from uh so yeah my um youtube channel is nutrichronology cool man so it's like nutrition and endocrinology that's awesome yeah and i love your little video about the alien space uh epidemiology i think it's called yeah is that yeah. right yeah yeah it's a great one i send that one out a lot actually <laughs> so if, oh, thank you. yeah yeah if, if uh you know if you're out there you haven't seen it check it out it's a good one um you know with has talking about you know the, the oils and the sugars um yeah man so i mean and you know it's it's hard to give anybody advice these days especially about diets because boy i mean fuck it's like so personal these days but i mean if there was one thing that you could say 
for people could do just to like improve their health not to not to be you know preachy about it but what would it be hmm that's a good one would it be uh, avoiding the oils or would it be you know having more sugar would it be more, watching more vegan videos or being fruitarian <laughs> i would say like a long-term thing would be avoiding the oils that's not something i would expect somebody to get like an immediate benefit from though yeah um they look at an, an immediate thing it's like just make sure you're eating enough protein i mean so many people don't eat enough protein especially um young women yeah big time and and people don't know like you can you can use um you know there's some free websites and apps and stuff where you can uh just put in what you're eating and you don't have to you, you know you don't have to do it every day and you don't have to like be super hardcore but you can get an idea of some of these numbers and you know you should try to get like you know maybe 100 grams of protein a day yeah because especially nowadays with you know vegan veganism being so popular i think a lot of people are i mean they're just initially turned off if you even say like hey you should eat more protein because they immediately have that picture of the you know the pregnant belly guy with the six pack that's like eat more protein and that's why it's, that's really how why people are turned off by it it's not even because that you know they don't necessarily want to eat more protein i think just they picture that guy you being that guy and then they've turned off by it and then they you know read some i mean do you think it's possible on a vegan i mean how about eating the beans and the and the uh, impossible burger it's mm. fucking disgusting, by the way. And um, all those. I've never of... tried it. Oh, don't check it out. <laughs> <laughs> check it out. Uh, so, the um, I don't think so. Well, okay, you can probably be like a normal, lean person, maybe with some muscle tone, I guess, if you exercise with uh, vegan sources of protein. But I don't think you can build, like, an above average like weightlifting physique yeah. on vegan protein uh, because like I said even with those sulfur containing amino acids they're pretty deficient in the vegan proteins and um, even though they have these you know potential negative side effects like they're necessary to stimulate protein synthesis in the muscle so it's it's like it's not just you know getting this many grams of protein it's like the protein quality is really hard and and you that's could, I've seen people mix them, but even still, yeah. And that's one thing that vegans do bring up a lot is they, because if you look at the older science, um, to my knowledge, um, you know the, you know even if you read like fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, bodybuilding book, which I don't know if you've, I mean it seems to be like everybody's got that when you're like a teenager, you get that super encyclopedia book, the thick one. Um, it seems like you know the, the, he had a chart in there, and it's the, the, you know the quality of protein, and it was milk and eggs and then meat, and then all the other stuff, soybeans, blah, blah, blah. But these days, you can, a lot of these vegans, they're pulling out um, studies that show that, no, they're the same quality. Like if you eat a garbanzo bean, it's about the same thing. And that's one thing that, you know, they will stick it to you because they say it's the same thing. So I, I don't know if they're the same quality or not. <laughs> well, those, I think those, uh, the quality chart that came from that study or similar studies about how much of each amino acid you'll use for protein synthesis until you start using it to make glucose. Mm -hmm. And they took that and they took the different ratios of the amino acids and then looked at foods and then basically said, okay, like eggs have closest to 
what we've found as sort of the optimal ratio of amino acids that you need of any like food. So that's why it's at the top of the chart. Mm -hmm. So, um, so you think it's still pretty much animal protein has a better quality uh, amino acids than? Yeah, I think the science is pretty good there, but also just observing, like it's, I you can go and look at vegan bodybuilders. Yeah, that's what I always say. Just and they don't have like a fullness. They there's a, they have like a depleted. It's you know? steroids, bro. It's steroids, bro. <laughs> that's always the thing, you know. And I agree with you. That that's that's why I always the thing was like. You know, because again, when you start talking about diets, it's always personal, and people always think you're just trying to shove your shit at them. And it's like, no, it's same thing with me. I mean, just from personal experience, when I tried being vegan, the muscle was just not there. And then as soon as you uh -huh. eat steak and milk and you know whatever, the whey protein, it definitely looks better. And that's what I always say. Like bodybuilders are my like, you know, I love to use them because I always say, you know, I mean, like genuinely speaking, if a bodybuilder you know, if you told a bodybuilder, eat eat uh, dog shit, and it's gonna make your muscles look better, and it worked, every fucking bodybuilder that you know <laughs> would be yeah. eating it, no doubt, and no doubt because those guys do crazy stuff. They do yeah. HGH and insulin and all kinds of good shit, and they're super like goal, like they do things if they're effective, and if exactly. they don't. Yeah, they don't do it just to do it. Like, yeah, they don't do like, it. They don't yeah. eat meat just because Schwarzenegger told me eat meat. They just do it because that what works. And that's what I'm saying. Like, if yeah. they told them, you know, like I said, eat dog shit, they would all be eating dog shit. Or if vegan <laughs> protein was the most effective protein at building muscle, all the vegans would be. I mean, all the bodybuilders would be would be vegan. And it doesn't yeah. matter whether they're using steroids or not. Though I mean, yeah, because we all know all the vegan bodybuilders are all natural for sure. I mean, no <laughs> doubt. No doubt, there's no testosterone prescriptions there. Um, yeah, and I mean, hormones-wise, uh, how much research do you, have you done into like testosterone, and estrogen, all those sort of things? Um, I well, the lab that I was in in graduate school was an estrogen lab. Oh, okay. Uh, so I know a lot about estrogen just from like the endocrinology world mm -hmm. of it, of like research. Um, but I actually, in terms of like the things that a bodybuilder kind of person uh, would know about testosterone and like the different synthetic uh, appropriate you know, anabolic things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually like the average bodybuilder probably knows more about that stuff than I do. <laughs> oh, yeah, they do. <laughs> well, yeah, but est and estrogen, I mean, do you is it is it as evil as it say? Is it, uh, you know, is it the female hormone, quote unquote? Is it not? Mm. Well, I'd say just like, you know, cortisol and these other things, some of the other things we were talking about, um, it's like a necessary evil. So there is some amount of estrogen that even probably men need, mm -hmm. like a, some small amount, you know, in your cells in different situations. Uh, and of course, women need it to like menstruate and go through their cycle. Mm -hmm. uh, and so for them, it's really a necessary evil because really what what a cycle is for a woman is like it's kind of like a little like temporary cancer because <laughs> <That sounds laughs> the, the uterine lining grows like the cells proliferate right right like really fast in a way that like if it was a different tissue in your body would be like you'd be like oh that's um that's a tumor like it, the way that the cells are growing 
Um, but it's stopped because the progesterone comes in and the that system of having that height the, that hormone profile gets knocked down at the end of the cycle so then it goes away and then that's menstruated out and then it repeats again um so it's like this little uh and of course you know and there's all kinds of negative side effects like you know it changes women's mood and um might make them like retain water or whatever like you know every, different people have different symptoms so in that sense it's bad like it's it's it causes stress to cells. It causes them to not work as well. Um, but it's necessary, especially in the female physiology, to have that cycle. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's the way I see it. And the way, but the way that they're getting prescribed, you know, because the the pill is, you know, hugely prescribed. I mean, and and I've worked with clients, you know, that have had like really bad stories with them. Or it, it and it always seems like again, like just with like with the diet thing, it seems to be like a initially a lot of great benefit a lot of good stuff happening and then this kind of you know just chaos that happens later on i mean have you noticed that yourself well not that you've been on the pill but <laughs> have you read about that <laughs> yeah it seems to be like um well i mean there's so many different types uh and i haven't kept up with like for example like if 15 years ago or something like you know, whatever pill, like some girl I might have been dating in college, like it's probably a different, yeah. either a different type of hormone or different, you know, doses and stuff like that. So they're always changing. But I've I've seen some pretty crazy stuff. Like I had a coworker once who was a little bit older than me. I was like 25 and she was like 30 and she went off the pill mm -hmm. and she said afterwards, like she had all this erratic mood swings when she first went off of it and then she was like you know when i was on the pill like i didn't realize it but i was like numb yeah like uh like she didn't have like she didn't have a sex drive yeah um and just all kinds of things in her mood like she just felt like suppressed and she didn't i guess it came on slowly like she, probably when she first started taking the pill you know when she mm -hmm. was whatever age mm -hmm. Uh, it, it probably wasn't a big deal and then just over time it's like five years go by mm -hmm. another five years go by and all of a sudden like you know all of these things have changed and like your whole hormonal profile is different and your body is sort of has accustomed itself kind of like if you were on testosterone replacement you know yeah yeah you get that initial same thing that you feel like shit afterwards although everybody's different have you heard of um, Anthony J Dr. Anthony J no. He has a book called uh, Estro Generation, I think it's called. Um, it's just a, you know, it, it, he's this doc. He works at Mayo Clinic. Um, pretty good book. You know, he has a lot of stuff about just in how many places estrogen is found. You know, all the plastic stuff, all the, you know, your meat is wrapped in it. Um, so, I mean, in that sense of view, it seems like it's something that you should pretty much be avoiding as much as you can, yeah. right? Well, that's that's why I would say it's not like the female hormone because um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> because uh, progesterone I think has a better case to be made mm -hmm. for being called the female hormone mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because and, first of all it's more specific to females <laughs> right and a lot of people experiment you know with uh, the famous repeat progesterone stuff have you tried it yourself I think I tried like it's like some somebody that uh somebody I was dating was trying it mm -hmm. and I like 
tried like a drop of her stuff just to see and I didn't really notice anything I mean I could kind of feel like a like a numbness like in my gums like a, a feeling of it and I think maybe just like a general relaxed feeling mm-hmm. and so like rapey supplements and and uh, the three big ones I guess are progesterone pregnenolone and thyroid um, mm-hmm. have you experimented with those yourself or no uh, I actually just bought a bunch of so I tr- I tried synthetic thyroid once but mm-hmm. it was like a friend of mine gave me her expired prescription so like mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know and I was also taking a really small amount because I'm I'm like pretty conservative with taking stuff mm-hmm. and if I'm gonna take a drug or something and I'm like monitoring myself so it's there's sort of nobody like looking after me other than myself so i have to be careful yeah uh so i'll take like you know i'll start with like a really small dose like i'll cut up the pills and stuff like that so with what that time i didn't notice anything but i just bought um some desiccated thyroid so like real deal thyroid uh and i'm gonna try that soon i bought some pure t3 and some mixed t3 t4 stuff cool cool and so oh so that's i mean that's surprising because you know you've been in the rapid world for a while now right but you haven't really because you know that is the one big like not even it's not even an argument it's just like uh you know people tease you about repeat it's like you know <laughs> if you it, you know if it's like anything it's the thyroid you know if it's like you know that's kind of people make fun of you you know it's like oh yeah it's probably your thyroid you know like oh dude i can't do you know i i couldn't get 115 up on the bench yesterday dude it's your fucking thyroid you should check it you know (laughs) so that 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 really seems to be the big you know tease about ray pete i mean and you know looking at his stuff i mean do you think a lot of those things do have you know because i mean looking at it myself it seems like there is a lot of it's never one thing but it just seems that thyroid is so interwoven in so many things I mean, is his point of view, I mean, is it valid? Does it make sense to you? Yeah. Yeah, I think it makes sense. I think that, like, thyroid, it's maybe not the only really good indicator of overall health and, you know, involved in everything, but it's definitely one of them. It's like if you're, if you have a serious chronic disease or if you're deficient in a nutrient on a serious level, Mm -hmm thyroid is you know probably going to be affected Mm -hmm. and so uh, uh, like doing people doing like a a full thyroid panel because it's definitely like not one thing that your doctor ever want to fucking check with you i mean it's probably (laughs) he would rather i mean he'll give you like a statin you know and whatever else right away but as far as thyroid it's like you're fine you're gonna be fine dude it's just thyroid you know so I mean, do you? Yeah, do you, I'm getting like really annoyed at doctors actually because I've just—it's crazy. Like, I'll—I'm always <laughs> trying to find a different doctor, like a new doctor. Oh man, um, same here. I, I have just, that obsession too. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 And I'll go in there, and it's like they'll ask me. Like, I'll explain. Like, look. Like, I because uh, when I was doing. Like my PhD, I was in, in in an endocrinology lab, you know. So it's like I, it's like, look, can I just like sort of talk to you about <laughs> what I want here? And and they would talk. It's like the lack of respect and just sort of 
it's just it feel it feels like such a fake interaction. Like it feels like basically the doctor comes in and they're a representative of like insurance companies, and they're just like, "Well, we don't want to pay." Like, yeah, and like all they're hearing in their head is, "It's going to be hard for me to justify this test." Yeah, the full thyroid panel to the insurance company, and I'm just, I can like I start to feel that you know like I sense that in the interaction, and I'm just like, "Wow, I hate this." Yeah, I've had that experience with many doctors, and it's fucking hard. But, you know, and then you'll go to a different type of doctor. You'll go to the, you know, Chinese herbal medicine doctor or whatever because you're trying to find something different, and they'll just talk to you about something completely fucking nonsensical, you know? And it's just like, well, how is your relationship with your father, you know? How how is it? You know, and you're like, it's good, man. No, I can feel something. I mean, I had one guy, I went to this acupuncturist once, Oh, man, I went to this fucking acupuncturist. Well, if you don't have a camera, sorry for this. But anyway, I walk in, and this guy, he's staring at me, and he's like, hey, how are you feeling? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, good. And he's like, you want to tell me? And, like, I, you know, he's like, he's trying to be deep as shit, you know? And it's just like, <laughs> I get what he's trying to do. He's trying to tell me that, like, you know, your mood affects you. And, and it's not like to say it's all, it's all nonsense, because I, I think – all of those doctors have some some truth in it at least you know what i'm saying so but yeah it's just it it seems to be either that this doctor like you said that he just wants to like oh get the fuck out of here you're fine you're you know 30 years old or whatever you know you're gonna be fine you know you're gonna be fine or you have the other guys who you know want to check your asshole for your chakra or whatever you know it's just like (laughs) my god so it's very so hard to find I'm, i'm in the same boat with you man it's so hard to find like a somebody who has like or at least is like open to like you said just talking about ideas and stuff like that so have you ever done like a full thyroid panel and checked all that stuff and um yeah uh but not not for like a couple years usually when i get when i try to like get a new doctor and stuff i can usually convince them as like a a new patient to get like a thyroid panel and like the sex steroids and um, some other things like that. But so, yeah, sometimes, yeah, they're just like, well, uh, do you have, because, yeah, it's all about, like, if you have symptoms of something. And it's like, yeah, maybe my symptoms are, I think I could be healthier if my thyroid. <laughs> it's like it's like you wish that I don't know. In Florida, weed's not not legal, right? It's illegal still. It's not like a it's illegal. I don't even know. I can't keep up with. Well, in California, it's laws. legal. So, but like in California, you know, you can go to. I mean, not that you need to now. Now it's just uh, you know you could you don't need the prescription. But before, you could go in and you could just tell them like. I'm sleeping bad, man. And they're going to be like, oh, that's it. You need fucking medicine, you know? <laughs> so you just kind of wish sometimes that, you know, those doctors would be the same with, I mean, it's just a test, right? Because you think it's just a test. It's not like you're giving me ecstasy. I mean, you're just fucking giving me, just, <laughs> you're just to getting a test. I mean, so is there things that you, not that you have patience or anything, but I'm just saying like, do you think there's some certain things that people should be checking? Maybe not at least, you know, not all the time, but at least regularly, like a thyroid panel or like you said, the sex steroids. I mean, what, like which ones and, you know, what would be the yeah. things? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you can get a full thyroid panel, um, then you should do that because that's, if you're, if you're having some sort of problem, it, it, it would just be super helpful to see 
if it's if your like T3 is low or something, or if your TSH is high, mm-hmm. or if they look good, just to rule that out as a cause, you know, that that would just be super useful. And as a man, you know, like making sure your testosterone is in a normal range, because like yeah, if you feel like crap, um, it could very easily be that. Uh, CO2, so that's a cheap one. Like I think no matter what blood test you get, you can just have them throw CO2 in there. Oh, that's not one you hear commonly at all. I, I don't think I've ever had anybody test that. Yeah, I, I think that's cheap and easy, mm-hmm. um, and you can just ask them to do that. And the, you know, usually it'll be in a normal range because CO2 is one of those things that if it was actually out of the normal range, like you'd know. <laughs> yeah, uh, you'd be messed up. But what it can do—that's one thing that, like, say you get blood work done once a year. If you notice over the course of five years that your CO2 has gone from like high normal to low normal, that's almost similar to like a low thyroid, you know, because that's indicating that your metabolism is shifting towards fatty acids. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's almost like an indication of like a pre-diabetic state and that that's something that you can look at. It's easy to understand and it's an easy test to get. Okay, and then you said the sex hormones. You just mean like testosterone? Do you mean te- yeah. or do you mean checking like because um, you know because it's also you do get sometimes kind of weird with the tests where you know certain tests are good and certain tests they say are not really good. Like you know, for example, I've had like magnesium tested, like red blood cell count, and on one part on in one side it's like that's the most accurate way to test it, and then the other side, I had somebody else, a doctor, tell me actually that you would have to literally, you know, uh, chip or open up your bone uh, to find out how much. (laughs) So, you know, you don't know. It's like, which ones? So, like, what about, like, pregnenolone and progesterone, which you always hear about in the repeat kind of side of things? Yeah, I'm not sure if uh, blood tests for that are too useful. Um, The one that I hear repeat people talk about a lot is... um, What's the milk-producing hormone? Prolactin? Uh, yeah. That's the one? Yeah. It, it, that's actually more of a good indication of a problem with estrogen and other hormones is if your prolactin goes up. Okay. And that's uh, one doctors, if you tell them that as a guy, they'll, they'll, <laughs> they'll fucking, you know, they would, it would always be more normal if you just kicked them in the balls right in the spot. I mean, they, they look at you like... What is wrong with you? Because they, they say yeah. that you literally have to have man boobs, like real man boobs, in order to test that. But I've also heard that I've, I've never had it done. And I think, is it the prostaglandins, the other ones that maybe some of the rape people talk about? Or I don't. Uh, yeah, are those the um, are those the inflammatory markers, like the normal ones that you get? Yes, I can't quite remember the seen... name, but. Yeah. yeah, I've seen some inflammatory peptides in a blood panel before, but I didn't pay too much attention to them because they were all, like, really low. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that would that would be a good indication. And for a lot of that stuff, like I was saying with CO2, it's not it's kind of like taking your temperature. You mm-hmm. know how people will say, like, after a meal or in the morning, take your temperature. Mm-hmm. It's good to have that number, but what's really good is to have that number and then compare it to that same number, say, six months later after you change your diet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and just see the difference. Some, mm-hmm. 
-hmm. Yeah, the directionality of things for a lot of these tests is more important, or it's more easy to... Because, again, I mean, some of these numbers are pretty stable, but, like, you could test... Say your thyroid number could be normal, but your it could be getting worse. Yeah. And um, I don't know. There's all kinds of factors like that. That day, it could just uh, like maybe you just had a healthy week or whatever. I don't know. Sure, sure. And or vice versa. But right. you, yeah, but if you get it tested over time, um, like I've been, I've gotten blood pressure tests before at the doctor, mm -hmm. and like I've given myself a million blood pressure tests because it's the same thing. In that class I taught, I had to teach students how to take blood pressure, so I've like, I've done it to myself like hundreds of times mm -hmm. and um yeah i've had nurses be like oh the like for whatever reason like um it's high because i yeah like because i had like an eight o'clock appointment you mm -hmm. know and like i didn't eat anything and so i like show up and i'm all like kind of dehydrated and uh <laughs> all cortisoled up from just waking up and yeah. they're like oh your blood pressure is a little high yeah yeah it's funny because i had the exact same thing happen and they're like your hemoglobin is a little raised and then it's just because you're dehydrated you know you didn't drink anything or eat anything exactly yeah. and it's funny right because they want you to drive like you know i mean i don't know in la here you know you probably heard of the traffic i mean to drive somewhere it's like 30 40 minutes in traffic and you're sitting there fucking you're hungry you know and then <laughs> <laughs> you know i mean but the time you're in the doctor's office you're you're you know you're just everything is probably up you know if you were to able to measure your cortisol i'm sure it would be high and i've had the same thing and i mean as far as blood pressure have you looked into the research on blood pressure i mean and you know because for example i have a book from maybe 20 30 years ago and in that book it was like 140 over 80 or 90 is like a very good blood pressure normal mm -hmm. Um, then I have a book that's a little bit uh, like maybe 10 years after that was written 10 years later and it was like 130 over 80s what is really healthy and then now now if you google it 140 is uh, hypertension yeah they're calling it hypertension mm -hmm. I mean <laughs> what's happening there <laughs> yeah it's the same thing that they're doing with uh, blood sugar I think they rate or lowered the fasting like what used to be pre-diabetic is diabetic and they're kind of ratcheting that down mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh i mean you can be <laughs> conspiratorial and say like you goddamn conspiracy theorists you got you got <laughs> don't you do yeah, it like maybe maybe they want to be able to prescribe more blood pressure medication uh you must think the earth is flat <laughs> you think the earth is flat don't you you son of a bitch <laughs> uh, uh yeah, it's it's strange, right? So, I mean, I don't know. Because I, mean, I had the same thing happen. They told me it was high, then I started monitoring, and then I'm like, it's 130. That's my average, basically. And it's like, the books say it's fine, but I mean, now it's getting close to hypertension. you know. Although at the same time, if you're under 30, they won't prescribe you that shit. You know, I, I, I've also started looking at that. you know. But mm. if I was 66 and I had that blood pressure, the doctor mm. probably would freak out and, you know, fucking, okay, we need to do, you know, lowering medication. But who knows? You know what's funny about that? Yeah. Is, uh, so, yeah, so they're changing the the standards for blood for healthy blood pressure, mm -hmm. and, yeah, and that's probably going to change the amount of prescriptions for blood pressure medication. And they're changing the standards for um, fasting, you know, hyperglycemia, and that's probably going to change prescriptions for like you know anti-diabetic like uh what do they give um insulin yeah it, it's a bit like the 
there's drugs like oh, uh, like sugar lowering things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but what they're not ever going to do, because I don't know if you saw this, but uh, a couple months ago, I think one of the big medical associations said that the new they're lowering the standard for the normal body temperature. Oh yes, and actually, I've read I've read maybe a year or two ago. Yeah, that the doctors have noticed that the body temperatures have been going down and it's mm-hmm. like it's a problem but and then i couldn't find that fucking article any longer um conspiracy theory i don't know <laughs> <laughs> we didn't land on the moon but but it's it's interesting so so you're saying they're so what are you saying about it though you're saying they're not going to lower that well no i'm saying they they lowered it but oh, what they're man. not going to do is start prescribing people thyroid because <laughs> but like you know what i mean yeah. like <laughs> <laughs> what are you fucking Alex Jones? You son of a bitch, Kyle. You son of Yeah, it's interesting. So yeah, and looking at the history of thyroid, I mean do you have you know, you probably know the uh, repeat perspective on it, right? And mm-hmm. and the um what's the guy that wrote the book Hypothyroidism? Uh, the pioneer uh, Rhoda Barnes. Yeah. Um are you a fan of that book? Have you have you read yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because in that book, right, it's like he goes through all the tests, the protein uh, uh, bound iodine test, and all that. And he just tells you why. I mean, basically, they're they're stupid, and um, you should just be monitoring your temperature. Um, do you monitor your temperature? Is it something you do? Yeah, I'm not super good with it, but uh, I yeah, I have like a little sort of crappy digital thermometer that again, I'm not sure how accurate it is, but I just make sure that like my temperatures aren't going down right as measured by that thing you know yeah yeah because that's something that i've noticed you know it's like when i was low carb um which i you know i was just wasn't aware of it at all um definitely eating carbs was like upping my temperatures and um yeah i think that that's definitely you know i mean everybody keeps track of their weight and whatever body fat but i think the temperature one is probably pretty important to, to be you know looking at because i definitely know a lot of people that get cold and cold hands and cold feet and all that stuff um yeah it's interesting man <laughs> that thyroid story um yeah yeah and i definitely believe because yeah if you look like i would like what i was saying about the blood pressure medication like if you look at there's just this kind of culture amongst doctors like it's really weird the way yeah they don't like thyroid they don't like the idea of giving people thyroid that haven't had their thyroid gland removed you know yeah like if you have thyroid cancer they're more than happy to to remove your thyroid gland oh yeah (laughs) they fucking love that come on yeah it's so true i just had a i had a friend that yeah was uh you know, just basically had some inflammation in, you know, there, and they were like, all right, let's cut it out. And he's like, fucking, give me a minute. I mean, what, and then, you know, in a week or two, he went away and everything was fine. But, like, it's crazy to think that this fucking guy could have had his fucking thyroid yeah. removed. And yeah. for, yeah. you know, I mean, there's not even, like, you know, it's the same thing with, like, I remember, you know, wisdom teeth here in America. I mean, they love pulling those fuckers out, too. I mean, I remember a doctor telling me, like, your teeth are going to be crooked in, in a year. I'm just telling you. And, I mean, I have all four of them, by the way. Never got them pulled out. Everything is fine. I mean, maybe one day they will, but it's a, definitely a culture upon its own, I think. And it's not to say that doctors are assholes, of course. I mean, it's just this probably the um, 
the way they're taught, right? I mean, yeah, getting into conspiracy theory area again. <laughs> yeah. Well, I work at a medical campus, and, like, when um, classes are in session and stuff, like, I'll – the building I'm in, there's a, the medical school building where the medical students take their classes is right next to it, and they have a nice cafeteria. Mm-hmm. And they don't really use it. So it's like this empty cafeteria. So I'll eat lunch there sometimes, and then um, – when the classes get out, like, down the hallway, I'll see, you know, 30 medical students come out of the door and walk down the hall and go to the parking lot or wherever they're going. And uh, I look at them, and <laughs> there's, like... Be honest now. Yeah, there's, like, a certain... What it is is they're all, like, high-achieving... They don't really look like they're out there to, like, you know, help people and... Yeah, and it's not to say that they're out there to kill people. It's just that, you know, yeah, it's just a, it's a check mark kind of, right? It's like getting yeah. it done and I have a doctor degree and, you know, everything else. Everything else is chiropractic and everything else is fucking bullshit. And, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's like type A personalities and people that are. And, and you know, their legal incentive, like, if a doctor does something that by the book, Mm-hmm. even though it's totally stupid like you can tell this is the wrong thing to do but it's kind of the normal practice they won't get in trouble even if it's clearly a bad decision however if they make a decision that is a good decision like would have a high probability of being a good idea but it's an unusual treatment and it goes wrong now they're liable Yeah. so the liability structure of the medical industry is like it's basically it's crowd um, logic. So like if you go against the crowd, you're liable. Whereas if you just do what all the other, like, it, it, it's kind of like you know investors, like everybody that lost money on their like mutual funds in two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the, all the companies are just like, well, we were just doing what everybody else was doing, so it's okay. <laughs> and that's actually like how doctors are like they're just well i just did the best like i did what the book says is the normal thing like, it's definitely a weird culture we're creating and and now it seems that there's less people wanting to become doctors i mean i've read somewhere that like people going into doctorate you know everybody's going into like a physician assistant or just like you know a nurse practitioner those kind of high level um you know th- things that are you know associated with being a doctor and but it's like in a way you know, if you want to get conspiracy theorists on it, it's like what that means is there's going to be less doctors making big decisions, right? And going to be big, you know, government agencies making decisions for the doctors. And then the nurses are just there for the ride because they're just doing what they're told. You know, they don't really want more people to be being able to, you know, do their own thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely moving in a direction that what we were talking about where it's like oh i want to get a you know i'd like to get a thyroid panel because i want to assess it for myself that's mm-hmm. not going to become easier <laughs> yeah yeah and it's it every time there's a doctor that you know goes out of his way and creates his own instagram page and just starts kind of doing or facebook or whatever you know just being out there in the you know social media world talking about things like that like there's a recent dentist guy that i found i think his name is Joel Gold and he's just talking about um, you know how important vitamin D is and vitamin K and you know it's like as soon as somebody like that is out there that that word gets thrown out right away 
conspiracy theorists. I mean, it's like the ultimate, like, you know, it's like recently what's happening, like, in the U.S. It's like, you know, well, I think this. And it's like, well, no, it's it's this. And then it's like, well, but I think it could be that, but it also could be this. Uh, you're racist. And that just ends all of it. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's the same thing with the conspiracy theory. It's just like, it's over. You're a conspiracy theorist. And, yeah, it's it's really sad because people get so discouraged i think you know they don't have fucking other options to you know uh-huh. what's going to happen next yeah <laughs> well man yeah it'd be interesting like i like sometimes when you watch movies and stuff like um you know those sherlock movies the sherlock holmes movies with robert downey jr yeah did you see any of those god they fucking suck dude uh, come on they suck come on just admit it well it's not this right, it's so not I'm, the same guy Richard. Kind of a, it's not the stock, stock, lock, and two broken... Ah, I fucked that name up, didn't I? <laughs> lock, stock, and two smoking lock barrels. Stock. Come on, it's not that. Uh, yeah, it's not... No, they're not as good of films as those other ones, but um, what? I, well, I'm actually kind of a, a Robert Downey Jr. apologist. I kind of like that guy. <laughs> yeah, but, he's a great uh, guy. Yeah. The um, Watson, you know, as a doctor, there's a few scenes where he's being a doctor you know yeah like back in london in like 1890 or whatever year that was and uh it's so interesting like when you see an historical piece even of its fiction Mm -hmm. um trade the difference and it's like yeah there's a lot more technology now and there's like a lot of devices and drugs and stuff that can save people that would have otherwise died but like the human interaction there and like the sort of, you know, just the idea that it's like, okay, this person's working for you and they're going to try to help you versus like there, there's like other interests. Yeah, you're going into this, you know, prescription pad guy and he might give you something. Okay. Maybe yeah. not. Right? It's like, uh, yeah, like you said, that human interaction. Um, yeah, which, you know, in some ways it's like a lot of people, I think, in some ways it's better because. I mean, at least in the U.S., if you have a lot of money, I think you can definitely find a doctor like that, you know, and have a chat with them. Yeah. And But the problem is that, again, if you don't, it's like, it's just show up and get the fuck out of here. Whereas some, yeah. some like, for, you know, it's a little bit, and it's not, it's not even, it doesn't have to do with you being poor. I mean, if you're just, even if you have enough money, but you're just not, you know, you're not Robert Downey Jr., obviously. I mean, I think you literally would have to be at his level to find one of those doctors that are willing to kind of try this and try that or... You know what's the yeah. guy? What's the guy from Braveheart? What's his name? Um, Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. You know his. I don't know if you've heard. He's like super into stem cells, and he's just shooting it up oh. everywhere into his eyeballs. I mean, just all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, like you know, and he was on you know, t- you know, with his doctor, and they're super like you know shooting ideas back and forth, and it's, it's you know probably probably what it, sh- it should be, probably the way the system should be. You know, where it's like you said, it's just you're coming in there and you're just yeah maybe you'll get out maybe not and it's they don't really even want to have your conversation you know if you tell them like well you know i was eating i've had it before it's like well you know i was not i tried not eating salt and you know my blood pressure stayed exactly the same you know and they're like and they just go no you probably didn't notice that you probably were eating it and it's just like but you know i tried eating more salt (laughs) i tried eating like a shitload more salt and it didn't go down, but it didn't go up either, you know, and it's like, you know, it's just, they don't want to yeah. even hear about your diet. They don't want to hear about, you know, how you sleep. 
Yeah. You know, just take some melatonin, you'll be fine. Which, yeah, yeah. Um, which I don't know. I've actually speaking of melatonin, you know, I heard Ray Pete somewhere say that you produce. I don't know what the exact number was, but it was such a small like microgram. Do you know how much melatonin your brain produces at night? No. It's like he said it was something so minuscule. Like I don't remember, maybe whatever point two micrograms or something. Maybe it was more. I don't know if somebody's out there. Sorry, but um, <laughs> yeah. But then you know. But then you'll take like a ten milligram melatonin pill you know and for me it never actually worked it always just made me feel like shit in the morning that's the only difference that i felt with melatonin i don't know if you ever experienced that i've never tried it but uh that's one thing i've most of my life i've never had a problem sleeping i could just sleep whenever (laughs) (laughs) that's a good skill to have man (laughs) yeah (laughs) well man um yeah, I think that's about. <laughs> I don't know if what else I can ask you about, man. <laughs> How's the situation in uh, Florida with uh, with the corona? <laughs> uh, well, it kind of sucks, man. I have, I have it. You have it? Yeah. You got tested? Really? How long? You yeah, been? I tested positive. It was like three weeks ago. Wow. Um, I never really got sick though. Like I got, um, I had a low fever. Mm-hmm. And I had, I had like a headache the first day, mm-hmm. and I went and got, te- or I, I made an appointment to get tested, and then before the appointment, I lost my sense of taste. Oh man! And, and that's when I knew something I was like, happening. And so, so yeah. you got, you made the appointment because you, you thought maybe you should get tested. It wasn't because you were required. You you started feeling some symptoms. Yeah. Well, the thing is, at where I work at a lab. Mm-hmm. Since it's a, a lab, they're really super serious about all that stuff. So, like, right now, the way things are, if you feel sick, like, you can't go there. Yeah. And if you feel sick for, like, two days or whatever, you have to get tested. So I felt sick, and I was like, all right, like, I have to get tested. Mm-hmm. I didn't take it super seriously, but, again, like, I didn't really get very sick, but it just sucks because... Um, I can't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been three weeks, and are you you have your yeah. sense of taste back now? Are you feeling better? Yeah, yeah. the The taste thing it was like, a, maybe ten days, mm-hmm. uh, maybe even more like a week. I, I don't quite remember. So you didn't and get. I yeah. Pre- mm-hmm. I feel fine. You didn't get really sick like some people have. Yeah. No. Oh man, it's a weird thing. And I mean, what do you think about what do you think about all the you know conspiracy theories regarding that? Yeah, uh, it's I, a, yeah, it's I mean, it's a bioweapon, man. <laughs> <laughs> nah, well, I, I mean, it's it's interesting, right? I mean, the, the crazy part has been just yeah, how some people have had crazy reactions to it, and some people like you, yeah, I, I know a guy that was like four days and he was fine maybe maybe uh-huh. a week but he said he just like you almost it was just like random just in case kind of test and tested positive but it was like fine uh-huh. fine with it well shit yeah. man are you doing anything are, are you uh, you know taking your uh, Greek roots and doing some like hot soup <laughs> <laughs> and drinking bone uh... broth have you been doing anything specific for it no, I have been like making sure to um, like those those B vitamin things that I made, like my little homemade vitamins. Like I I've been taking more of that than I normally would, and stuff like that. I think 
Oh, also, I've been eating um, oysters, like just a lot of oysters out of the can. Because I heard zinc. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just like, eh, you know, have some zinc. <laughs> Might as well. And you, yeah, and you never know. It's, it's so hard to find good information now, you know. And somewhere I read that, you know, there is less zinc in canned. I mean, I'm sure there's still some in there. But just, again, like personal experience, I always seem to just – I don't know if it's a placebo or in my head, but the fresh ones, you know, if you if you can find them, like at Whole Foods, you just fucking pop them open. Yeah. Um, always just no, see yeah, same thing. I yeah, I love eating fresh oysters. Yeah, they're, they're like, just something about it. I, I just feel it more, you know, whatever it is. It's, yeah. probably, it's probably the chi going into my chakra, but I don't know. How <laughs> the ocean? It's like you know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Side is like giving you his energy. <laughs> um. And the B, why B vitamins specifically? Why aren't you, you know, vitamin D? You're in Florida, so you're not worried about that at all. Do you ever supplement vitamin D? Uh, I have a little bottle of Thorn liquid vitamin D. I don't really use it. Um, mm-hmm. I figure I'm actually I'm kind of skeptical of vitamin D, mm-hmm. like t- people taking a lot of it. I don't know. I, it's probably best to get it from the sun, um, and. I guess if you live in a northern climate, then then it would make sense. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I take vitamin K. That's also I have the Thorn brand. Mm-hmm. And uh, B vitamins, I just I wanted to experiment with those because you can't really overdose. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're, it's hard for them to be toxic because you just pee them out, you know. Mm. So that's why uh, maybe Ray Pete recommends that liter of oj a day right that's what he says i don't know (laughs) (laughs) yeah well how much so it's two liters of milk and a liter it's a lot of fucking liquids eh? i know man but oh well speaking of liquids i mean what about water i mean you know because he i don't know if you read that article he has it's probably been a long time since you have you know where he talks about you know probably the whole eight glasses of uh water a day is super you know stupid (laughs) um could be toxic yeah so i think like i've gone back and forth on this stuff like you know you're told to drink as much water as you can and then you read ray pete and he's like don't drink any water yeah Uh, (laughs) so i just i just drink water when i feel like i want to drink water you know like i just i can't worry about all this stuff (laughs) that doesn't make sense Kyle. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, you need to worry about your everything. <laughs> I mean, I've tried the, you know, like, I love milk. I don't know if it's my Russian genes or whatever, but I, I generally, like, I, I, I never had a problem drinking a lot of milk. I mean, I never drink a gallon, but if you told me to drink a gallon, I could easily pound that. Um, but, like, I've tried the two liters and one uh, liter of OJ. Um, I mean, I definitely don't crave any water, like, whatsoever. Um, uh-huh. And there's, you know, and I've got that from like the you mentioned Men Stone much earlier. It was like he talked about how you probably don't want to have your pee clear all the time. Whereas if again you uh-huh. talk to like the typical fitness personality or you know Joe Rogan, it's like you should drink 15 gallons of water and then get an IV of water, and you should just be always, <laughs> you should just yeah, you should have a water bed. I mean, it, it's, it's like it's crazy how I definitely don't think that's healthy i mean because i feel like you're peeing out a lot of your electrolytes yeah 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 so i mean probably just drinking to thirst yeah is is a good good idea there (laughs) Uh 
and coffee. Yeah, crazy, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> um, coffee... You know, and I've I've gone back and forth with coffee. That's not, that's been one for me that I've gone back and forth with. It's like I actually I love coffee. I love the taste of it. I can drink a shitload. Um, but then once I stopped drinking it, the detox period was a motherfucker. I mean that uh-huh. was pretty bad. But then coming back to drinking it, be I was so sensitive to it. Like uh-huh. you know, a, half of a cup would just wind me up so much that I was like, I'm, I need to break walls. Like it it was crazy. So, but. You know, just thinking about it, I'm just like, I don't know if it's necessarily a good thing, you know, or it could be just being sensitive to it, and then over time you become less sensitive to it. But as far as the Ray, Ray P perspective, it's very healthy. But then there's the other perspective. I can't remember the doctor. He wrote a book about DHEA. He was one of those guys that promoted it, like one of the first ones to like become mainstream. He made like a DHEA one. He talked about, and he talks about caffeine being super toxic and not good for your brain. Hmm. I don't know. I can look yeah. it up. When you say DHEA, do you mean the the steroid or the um, the prescription? Well, yeah, the fatty acid. <laughs> you know, the, the DHEA this, you can this... go to Whole Foods and buy like a you know whatever twenty five milligram thing of DHEA. I think it's di- yeah, that's dihydroepiandrosone. Yes, yes, yes. That, that word. Yeah. Okay. 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 Uh, yeah. Um, Caffeine, well, coffee and the caffeine inside of it, mm-hmm. I'm, I think it stood the test of time. Um, so I don't think it's very dangerous. Uh, just like, you know, anything else like tea and stuff. Um, and, yeah, I think if people have bad reactions to it, like some people, actually, with the 23andMe, I analyzed my caffeine metabolizing genes. Mm-hmm. And I have the genes to quickly metabolize caffeine. Mm. So I can usually drink coffee at night, like, you know, dinner time and stuff, and even later, and still sleep. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes I can't, though. Like, if I'm actually kind of stressed out, Mm -hmm. I've noticed this. Like, it's really rare, but there are a few times that I drank coffee late at night, like 11 o'clock or even, like, midnight. Mm -hmm. And most nights I can actually do that and fall asleep, but occasionally I'll do it and I'll go to sleep and for whatever reason uh, it keeps me up. And I can tell because, like, I can kind of feel, like, my heart. You know, sometimes you can feel, like, stress, like, in your chest and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, so yeah, I think people should just, you know, I think probably some people metabolize caffeine better and you know, if you feel good on coffee, then you should drink it. And if it's, um, but as well, far as the research, well, funny story. Yeah, yeah. tell me. I, I used to drink a bunch of uh, Coke when I was like twelve. Mm-hmm. Like I, I was like super addicted to it, and I don't even remember why. But this was the first health food thing I ever did. Mm-hmm. Um, I was watching this old TV show called the, is it the Odd Couple? It was like an old, it was on Nick at Night, and it was one of these shows from like the 60s, and it was uh, these two guys that were living together who were childhood friends, but then they were totally different, Mm -hmm. and one of them was like a man's man, and he smoked cigars and like ate junk food, and the other one was like a health nut, Okay. and the health nut guy sent the other guy to like a fat camp, Mm -hmm. and when he got to the fat camp, he like smuggled in food. Um, like he, under his bed he had like sandwiches of like whatever and I remember I was like 12 and I had a can of soda and I was like oh my god that's like me with the soda like, I would do that. 
<laughs> and so I, I, I went cold turkey because I was like, I don't want to be like addicted to junk food. No, and it was around 4th of July because my family always has this big 4th of July party. And I remember that year I had a blistering headache all day long <laughs> because my little 12-year-old body was like going through caffeine withdrawal. And I didn't like understand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, because, you know, more to say like about what about the research on caffeine? You know, the PD perspective is that, you know, it extends life and it's good for you, blah, blah, blah. Um, have you read some of the literature on the caffeine stuff? Uh, I haven't delved too deep into it. Uh, from what I understand, Ray basically has the position that it's like a chemical analog to thyroid hormone mm. in the way that it activates cells, mm. um, which seems to be sort of correct in the sense that like thyroid hormone too will... Because you know, caffeine, when you take it, it, it can kind of increase cortisol, mm -hmm. um, especially if you take it without food, yeah. like if you just drink black coffee on an empty stomach. But thyroid will do the same thing. If you don't have energy in the system, like if you don't have, if you're like, say, hypoglycemic or something, mm -hmm. and you take thyroid hormone, that will increase your cortisol. So they do sort of have the same effect profile, but I haven't looked at literature about caffeine itself yeah i've heard i think i've heard him say somewhere that he thinks of it more as a vitamin um yeah but i don't know the the endless because yeah it's so variable how you know some people love it and some people just feel like shit on it but then again it's another one of those things like with the meat what kind of meat you know it's like what kind of coffee i mean you're drinking coffee black and like you said how much and what's yeah. the amount that you're drinking and what time and all those sort of things Mm -hmm. So it's probably worth playing around with. And, I mean, we're late in the conversation, but, like, maybe we can finish up, talk, you know, just briefly, even though there's a big world of, like, you know, because you mentioned your genetic testing, and mm -hmm. I've done that too, and I've done even, like, some consultations with some docs. Um, I mean, how, you know, and then you have other doctors who are sort of saying it's not bullshit, but, um, you know, to for example, to prescribe somebody a diet, you know, based on their genetic profile at this point i don't it's not quite this you know it's not quite valid yet i mean we're not that at that mm -hmm. level of understanding genes i mean how much do you think your genes you know affect you like i mean you know in the long run i mean yeah uh well i think if we like you said i think there will be a point where it'll probably be pretty explanatory of a lot of things like somebody will be able to know why they react differently to a food than somebody else you know um but you know there's always room for like non-genetic causes as well like if you um you know like if there's two twins like th th something different could happen and they could have like a different sort of environmental effect that would change uh the way their metabolism works or whatever that's possible yeah uh but i definitely think it's good i mean it's just a tool like and p people probably overuse it um i guess i would i would go with the things that are like more well documented like the caffeine metabolizing genes like that's pretty well known mm -hmm. you know like how that works and you can like verify it yourself you know like you can 
like I've met other people that looked at their 23 and me um, and looked at the caffeine thing and it was like consistent with their experience. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, of, of how, you know, how fast they metabolize caffeine. Mm-hmm. So for that stuff, you know, I think it's great, but yeah, there's, see, the thing is, it's like, um, I think an industry is going to pop up around things like that, where it's like a fad, like, oh yeah, like send, I've gotten ads for this actually, like on Facebook where it's like, oh, give us $60 or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, you know, the, the popular docs of like, have you heard of Dr. Rhonda Patrick? Yeah. Yeah. She's been on like Rogan's podcast. She has, I've done her. It's like very cheap though. I mean, it's like, but there's companies that do it for thousands of dollars i mean all, all kinds of um where it's just yeah you just type in your you know snp code or whatever and um you get that you know result of like here's the important genes but the problem with that like you said is like f- for example i did Rhonda patrick's and, and one of the things that was like at the very top she sort of lists them as like things that she thinks are important to least important um you know, and things she had one gene being important, and the description said you probably should be eating more PUFA, you know, polyunsaturated fats. And that was like one thing where I was like, well, okay. I mean, it's not like, again, it's not like she's not lying, but, you know, like, <laughs> like, right? It's like, where are we at with the science, you know, with basic things like that, even? I mean, if, again, if you go American Heart Association, they have, you know, the, you know, corn oil labeled as heart healthy. Right. I mean, where are they, they pulling these studies from? And man, so it's it's a bit confusing for the average person. So I don't know. So I try not to take it too seriously. At first, I did. You know, I looked at it and I was like, mm-hmm. oh man. But yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. The, the the data that they're pulling from, like, it has a perspective. So mm-hmm. if the if the overall perspective of the mainstream is that like X is healthy, but you disagree with the mainstream on that those services are going to give you that mainstream information most likely, you know, mm-hmm. unless it's somebody like, I guess some alternative health person could write their, an entire, their own thing, like for, for those different genes, like where say they don't think poof is healthy. Like they could have an entirely different interpretation of how to recommend a diet for this profile, this genetic profile. But that, I mean, that might be like a ton of work. I don't really yeah. know exactly how those things yeah. work. Yeah, that's where people get tripped up. I mean, you know, if you had a friend, I mean, what would you recommend? I mean, how does one go in about figuring out this endless world of, you know, because most people, they don't really give a fuck. They don't want to, you know, talk about poof oxidation and all that stuff. They really just want to be healthy. But it's, I, I'm finding more and more these days, it's like, it's just harder just to just to have some advice, you know, to, to give somebody some simple advice because you know you can tell them be keto or you can tell them be vegan and it's like you know it'll only take them so far i mean how would you know how would you guide somebody to getting you know researching and looking through the you know the the stuff that never ends yeah uh well that's that's why vegan and keto is so popular because you can spread it because it's an idea it's like a coherent message that you can give to somebody and it has like instructions embedded within it you know like you can be vegan uh, people understand what that means yeah like you can't you can't you can't make a a single word answer or like a slogan for you know say like the ray pete diet or whatever like people can say that but it doesn't really mean anything um 
Well, to the to the people that have been you know looked at it deeply enough, it does. I mean, to other people, it's just like drink milk, orange juice, right. and Mexi Cola. You're good, you know. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, there's a lot of people that have had different experiences in that world for a while, and they've like modified stuff a lot for themselves. So, I mean, if I was giving somebody who had no idea about anything advice, like I think the easiest thing to do is to try to make as much food as you can like at home like do home cooking um try to eat like you know sort of traditional foods and not necessarily in the paleo sense like from 10,000 years ago but just yeah. just real like 200 years ago yeah like because that stuff like i said like it kind of stands the test of time like if everybody from like you're from russia like if everybody for the last 500 years ate a certain dish like it's probably not going to kill you <laughs> um so you know starting there except meat that'll kill you (laughs) just kidding (laughs) uh starting there and then just sort of being like does this feel good or like you know add a little bit more protein like try 150 grams of protein and and then try you know try different things like um yeah if if you want to actually figure that stuff out you do kind of have to do some experimentation and yeah, if people just want to do like keto and then it, like, yeah. think it's going to solve all their problems, right? Which is why I think it's not necessarily a bad thing to do these, fall into these camps and follow those ideologies because I've done it myself and you have too. Mm-hmm. And I think the good thing that you, as long as again you just the the secret is to like not get attached to it because if you're attached to it, that's how you end up being that fucking you know. What's that famous vegan doctor that was on all over YouTube with a six-pack vegan for life, and now he's eating organ organ meats uh, <laughs> because he says he ruined his gut biome, blah blah blah. And, you know, and there's a lot of people like that. You know, um, yeah. But I think the good thing, you know, about about doing those sort of diets is that at least, really, what's important is like to like pay attention to what's happening to you. You know, if you notice that, yeah, you know, you're farting all the time when you're eating beans and all that kinds of stuff. You know, maybe maybe shouldn't be happening. You know, it's you know, uh-huh. if you're losing your period, <laughs> maybe right, shouldn't right, be happening. Right. Or you know, if you're just straight up eating meat, but you feel like dog shit all the time. Um, yeah. So I think at least that's you know, I think I'm all for people experimenting. I just yeah, uh-huh. people definitely just want to kind of get religious about it and get attached to one ideology. Yeah, man. Yeah, because it's it's hard. It's hard to like it. It's hard to not eat things that aren't like on your diet, and I think having faith in a diet is one of the few things that gives the average person the willpower to like, you know, yeah, stay on something. Yeah, which is not bad, but it's just yeah, it just um, yeah, it sucks when you get too attached to it, you know, and it's yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the tough part. You have to. That's why I always just tell people try being vegan. You know, I've done it. Try being vegetarian. Try try doing that. Um. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, man, it's been great. Thanks so much for being so generous with your time, man. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. It's a good conversation. Sweet, man. Yeah, we should come back and do it again sometime. Um, I appreciate it, man. I hope you feel better. <laughs> yeah, I just, I like I said, I feel fine. I just want to like be oh. able to get back to like social life you know and like being able to are you isolated legit at home are you just quarantined up 
Yeah, I mean, I'll go and grab something at the store and, like, put a mask on and just get in and get out. But, mm -hmm. like, um, I can't, like, hang out with people, you know? Yeah, and what's, I mean, are you, when can you get tested again and see if you're clear? I just did, um, I think, I guess yesterday. Huh. I, the first time I got tested was through my university, and it was, like, real good. Mm -hmm. And I got the results fast, and then I tried to get a retest, and something happened with their system. But, like, they just, it's just crazy, and I couldn't get an appointment. So eventually, I was just like, I can't stand this anymore. So I just Googled, like, COVID-19 testing sites in my county and drove up to a place. I had to sit in my car for, like, two hours. Mm -hmm. It's like a drive through thing, oh, and there's, fuck. like, 20 cars. Uh and and so and so anyway, I got tested. So like sometime next week, I should probably get my results. All right, man. Well, uh, fingers crossed. Well, you'll be all right. Well, at, at least you're feeling better. That's that's the most more important. That means you'll be fine. Okay, brother. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, really appreciate your time. Uh, and your YouTube is once again. It's Nutri. Say it again. Nutrichronology. N u t r i c r i n o l o g y. And you don't have like a website out or anything like that right now. Not yet. Yeah. No, I used to, but I, I got rid of it. I'll, I'll bring it back eventually. It'll be the same thing. It'll be NutraChronology.com. Yeah, just any whatever, anything else, something else people should check out. Any, anything you have published out there? Uh oh, I have another like, I think YouTube channel with a friend. Yeah, I don't think it's a podcast feed, but uh, Nutrition Deconstructed. Mm -hmm. Two words. Sweet, sweet. Okay, yeah, and that uh, on your YouTube channel, I love that. I, I send that out to a bunch of people that. Uh, uh, alien ep epidemiology uh, video. It's pretty good. So check it out if you're uh, interested. Thanks again, man. Uh, take care. Feel better. <laughs> All right. Thanks. See you, man. Have a good one.